o'clock. I call to order the September 27th Franklin School Committee meeting. Meetings are recorded by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29, as well as recorded by Franklin Matters. Any individual who also wishes to record this meeting must notify the chair in accordance with Massachusetts General Law, Chapter 38, Section 20F. First on the agenda, we have our pledge student, Allie Prito. Allie, do you mind coming up? I just want to read a little blurb that we have from some of your teachers. Okay. Allie is a fifth grader representing Oak Street School this evening to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Allie is the daughter of Armindo and Jeanette and the sister of older brothers Nicholas, a seventh grader at Horace Mann, and Centino, a ninth grader at Franklin High School. Allie's teachers have asked her to represent Oak Street this evening because of how well she represents the school's ACORN's values. Allie has demonstrated particular strengths in the core values of caring and never giving up. She regularly checks in on her friends to see how they are doing, and she is quick to scoop up a classmate who may not have someone to talk to or work with in class. Oak Street students gravitate to Allie, and you can see them brighten up as she includes them in her activities. This is evident when Allie volunteers to support kindergartners in the library during her own recess time. Allie's work ethic is unmatched. She faces academic challenges head on and works diligently to learn new concepts. Science and social studies are her favorite subjects because she likes to learn facts about the world around her. Allie is an all around Oak Street scholar who understands her responsibility to work hard on her own goals and look out for the people around her. At home, she enjoys playing soccer, listening to music, and completing arts and crafts. She also likes to play board games and watch movies with her family. When she grows up, Allie would like to be a teacher. Allie, if you wouldn't mind leading us in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you so much, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you guys so much. Thank Have a good night. So as is customary, we will pause for a moment of silence. Thank you. Oops, I'm very sorry, I forgot. Um, we need to take roll call attendance. Um, so I'll begin. Uh, Camille Bernstein? Present. Dave Callahan? Here. Al Charles? Here. Dave McNeil? Here. Elise Stokes? Here. Megan Whitmore? Here. Denise Spencer? Here. Thank you, everyone. Sorry about that. Um, all right. Routine business. Review of agenda. Agenda looks okay. All right. Payment of bills taken care of. Payroll, Ms. Stokes? I reviewed payroll. It's an honor. Okay. And we have our two student reps here this evening, Sid and Ahan, to tell us all about what's going on in the high school. Um, hi everyone, I'm Sid, I'm the junior class vice president, and I want to just give a brief overview of the whole school updates. So obviously with the beginning of the year you have um, homecoming coming up, 
And now a lot of students and parents were anxious for when it's homecoming and they were wondering the dates. The date is now confirmed for October 22nd with the homecoming game being October 21st. And October 22nd is a Saturday this year. So that's one thing that a lot of students get excited for and even parents get excited for, um, especially freshmen who this is like their first high school dance. They get really excited for that. Um, another th important thing to note is all sports are in full swing now. Um, football played last Friday. They did suffer a loss, but it was still a good game to watch. And boys soccer is doing really well. Girls soccer is doing really well. Girls volleyball, girls field hockey. All the sports at Franklin High are doing really well and they're in full swing now. Um, last Friday we held the club fair, which fe featured over 50 clubs and that was a huge success. Like going around, seeing all the clubs, like everyone was had such a positive mood towards it and everybody was happy to see all of the people out there. So I think that was a huge success and all the, those clubs are starting up this week. Um, and then coming back to this week, you have on Wednesday and Thursday, we'll have school pictures. And this Thursday will be open house night for parents, um, which is Thursday <coughs> 6. And this is an opportunity for parents to get to know the teachers of their students. And for freshmen and parents, it's to get an idea of what high school's like um, and what the high school looks like also. So a lot to look forward to this year. Uh, thanks, Sid. Um, my name is Ahan Shetty. For those of you that do not know me, I am the class president of the junior class at Franklin High. And uh, just to give some updates on what the junior class is currently doing, um, on Saturday, October 15th, there are PSATs taking place at the high school uh, from 7 to 12 p.m., 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. Um, students had to register by Friday. Um, also now, we have formed a prom committee. We had our first meeting two Fridays ago. Uh, we had over 20 students in attendance and we're still welcoming students that want to attend the uh, meetings. So we are meeting again this Friday. Meetings are taking place every other Friday until about Thanksgiving where we want to start meeting more regularly and every Friday. Uh, next, uh, we have our first fundraiser which is coming up pretty soon. Uh, we want it to be just to help uh, budget our prom tickets and try to bring down the cost of those. Prom is on May 5th, uh, 2023 at Lombardo's in Randolph, Massachusetts. Uh, for seniors, they are currently working on college applications right now. Um, early decision and early action uh, deadlines coming up in the first week of November. So they're pretty busy with that. And that's pretty much it for the upperclassmen at Franklin High School. Thank you both very much for that lovely update. Um, does anyone have any questions, comments? Okay, all right. Get on out of here. <coughs> Mr. Jr., the superintendent update. Great, thank you. Good evening, everyone. Just to follow up what Ahan mentioned, I know the early action and application process is underway. I would put a plug out to our lifelong learning, which does uh, a lot of work prior to this to help students develop their college essay. And typically, this date comes pretty quickly when you start thinking about November and the start of school and kind of where your focus is. But there's opportunities to begin that process um, in the summertime, um, in the spring, um, to develop uh, develop those college essays so that you're less stressed during the fall of your junior year, getting your senior year and whatnot. So I just would put that out there as a plug for lifelong learning to do a great job of posting that and putting that on other tiers. Okay, so 
On Wednesday, September 21st, the Franklin Public Schools participated in Early Release Professional Development Day. Pre-K through five educators participated in the second session of the ADL's Anti-Bias Education, <coughs> a pathway to building more equitable, inclusive schools. The professional development series was based on a recommendation from our DEI committee last year and funded through Senator Spilker's budget, earmarked funds. At the secondary level, new teachers participated in Keys to Literacy Professional Development while other educators worked on course-alike partnerships and explored new curriculum resources. Additionally, administrators, elementary specialists, and middle school CETs and ELA coordinators participated in the MAP growth training to learn more about communicating MAP growth results with families. We are currently preparing for an early release professional development day on Friday, October 7th, as well as our full professional development day on November 8th. The morning of November 8th will kick off our two-year pre-K through five science of reading PD, while secondary level will focus on building-based initiatives. Based on last year's feedback, educators wanted to learn from and collaborate with colleagues, and as such, the afternoon of the 8th will focus on offering a menu of choices once again. The Office of Teaching and Learning sent out requests for proposals to all educators last week, and there are educators and leaders throughout our district who, um, who've been asked to host sessions, and they can take the form of three basic types. It's presenting ideas and strategies to colleagues, facilitating a roundtable discussion, or leading a collaborative planning session. We're excited to report that we have currently have 27 responses and we continue to encourage folks to join. In addition to sessions led by colleagues, some outside providers will also be providing some professional development on that day. We have an MCAS update. The Department of Elementary and Secondary Ed will release its 2022 MCAS accountability results at noon on Thursday, September 29th. Dr. Rogers participated in the DESE's webinar today and more information about this da the data being released from the ESC will be forthcoming, and the school committee can expect an MCAS presentation sometime in November. As we return to school and, and settle in into the school year, um, this is a time when we do our annual trainings, renew kind of our commitment to making sure that all of our educators, staff, and students have the information they need on an annual basis. And uh, we have been participating in leading some, uh, some trainings. And I'll look at the crowd here. We have some principals in the crowd who've also helped to make that happen. The first update is around school safety. So to walk it back, in the summer, we conducted a school safety meeting with the Franklin Police Department's SRO unit. And we had representation from administrators at each level um, who joined us at, in that meeting, where we reviewed our current safety practices, procedures, and scheduled our, dr our drills for the fall and the spring. Our principals conducted in-person school safety trainings with all staff, reviewing our definitions, practices, and procedures. In addition, all students reviewed safety practices and procedures and participated in safety drills, which you may have received information from your parent um, last week. Um, those drills include bus evacuations, fire drills, and lockdown drills. Our principals have been communicating with families as students conduct these first rounds this month. We also have mandated trainings, so all of our staff have been completing their mandated training, which includes a review of our policies and procedures. This year, we've implemented an online training platform called ArcsEd to enhance the training with videos and visual aids to augment our policies. 
ArcsEd describes that system as simplified, centralized, and memorable with videos and infographics, ensuring that staff have the information they need for a variety of situations. Some of the topics included in that dashboard and in that training are around copyright, Section 504, um, FERPA, non-discrimination, anti-hazing, universal precautions, bullying prevention and intervention, sexual harassment, and other modules. We created accounts for each staff member providing access to training through a dashboard and they complete that sequentially um, at their own pace, but they've been given a timeline to make that happen. Um, at this time, we have over 700 faculty and staff members who've completed that training since it's been rolled out um, with um, a few remaining and they still have time this month to complete that. The final module is a feedback survey which allows staff to provide uh, insight and feedback to the in-district training modules that we've added along with the companies so that we can continue to improve that system and provide staff with what they need. Um, website communication, last week I sent out an email to families on the 16th. Um, one of our goals was around communication and I talked about some of the updates we've made to our website. You know, we see the website as an opportunity, it's a centralized hub where everyone knows to go for information. So um, our website is currently under review. Um, we're cleaning up and updating some of our practices, some of the information that exists in there. And we'll continue to do so for <coughs> year. Um, more recently, I said this in the email, but I thought I would just mention it to everyone who maybe is tuning in. We added a school safety page, which talks about the types of plans we have. Um, that was from a request out of our policy subcommittee meeting. We also added two additional areas where we have a communication guideline um, that I would walk through, but basically it talks and it describes how to resolve concerns or problems folks may, be, uh, may have at, at one level or another. So basically the website gives information on who's best to help uh, someone who has an issue or needs something resolved, help them get the, the quickest answer, the most um, appropriate answer, and for example, if there's a classroom issue, the best person to go to is the classroom teacher. And then we've stepped it out to say, if you have something going on that's maybe school-based or discipline-related, reaching out to a school administrator. Um, if it's something related to policies, practices, procedures, or something that wasn't resolved, after you've worked through some of those channels, it would lead to a central office call. And we just tried to really highlight and outline how people can um, understand our process and make sure, uh, cut down on any frustration or confusion around who's best to help resolve a problem. So that exists, it's, it's on the website. We will continue to communicate out information about that, but I just wanted to highlight that. And the last is our bullying, harassment, non-discrimination. Those existed in multiple areas, so what we've done is put them all in one area on the page, and it's under the family tab. Final note is on staffing. And um, today we'll report on 927. We currently have uh, three teaching vacancies. Um, one is a subject area teacher, two special education um, positions, and for support positions, we have 13 openings for our ESPs. You may recall the, on the last update on 913, we had five open positions, so we're, we've, we've decreased that to three um, with some potential candidates in the wings. And also, we had 16 ESPs, we're down to 13 at this point. So, um, those are our direct teaching staff. We continue to hire, we continue to work. I look at some of the principals we have here tonight from the elementary level, um, but I reply to the middle and high school as well. We actively are seeking qualified candidates going through the, the process that we go to to recommend folks and try to put the best adults who are qualified, licensed, and capable in front of our students. So we'll continue to do so. 
and we'll continue to provide staffing reports until we've uh, until we've been able to fill those positions at that point. Any questions for me regarding the report? Um, Camille? No questions right now. Dave Callahan. Thanks. Uh, let's see. Uh, one of the things, thanks for the updates with the uh, school safety. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, no, it was, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to update the website to kind of include a lot of that information. One of the things, just for kind of everybody uh, at home, could you kind of expand on, I know at, the, at our policy meeting, we talked about, especially like the lockdown drills, mm -hmm. are you know that uh, it's all age appropriate so a lockdown drill that you know that's in the kindergarten is a little bit different the high school would you be able to kind of expand on that um at least just so that way everybody kind of has a better uh picture of exactly kind of what's happening during those lockdown drills sure so just to just to begin we made some conscious decisions to start this school year off where we were not going to conduct any kind of surprise lockdowns drills or anything of that nature so those would be planned coordinated with our building principals at each level, um, we really try to look at what's most appropriate. So one, one of the studies that's come out over the time that we have been conducting lockdown drills is simulating lockdowns um, in, an, in an excessive manner can actually create trauma um, if, you're, if you're trying to simulate. So we um, do not philosophically subscribe to that model. Um, a, lot of, a lot of folks, and particularly in the Northeast, don't as well. But we want to make sure we have kids that are prepared. So. Um, with every lockdown drill, um, we walk through, make sure that kids know and staff know to barricade, um, put to lockdown and, and get in their rooms, um, stay away from any type of um, open area, talk to them about what they can do, um, but we certainly don't reenact um, barricading at this moment um, in time. However, we have staff that are trained to do that, and we've done that through the synergy training that we've conducted, and we continue to um, emphasize that. I'd say at the different levels, classroom containment, we have different acronyms that we use, and they each have a different um, different expectation for how you go about work. Sometimes you're locking the building because something's happening outside of the building, you just wanna make sure you don't have folks in and out. Other times you need to kind of lock a hallway down. With, with, with younger students, you could say you have a rabid dog or there's something happening in the hallway that you need to, to keep people in the room. And then um, obviously if you wanna keep folks safe within your classroom, really just trying to make sure that we have secured doors. Um, that's the biggest um, piece that we've learned over time, is around making sure that we have secured locked spaces. We do um, plan and will train on some of our open spaces because um, it's a different process for those where you're looking, if you have the ability to leave an area, um, that's part of the training as well. It's trying to prepare folks. So as we step this out and train, uh, train our staff and, and make sure that they're comfortable with um, next steps, we continue to do that with our students as well. Um, but certainly, open areas is an area for you to just leave an area of danger as opposed to trying to find a place like a cafeteria or an auditorium or something to that effect. Does that answer your question? It does. Yeah, these you know, these are awful and uncomfortable conversations to, to have and topics to um, be discussing. But I know at least you know over the summer, some of the conversations that we had uh, out of the policy subcommittee itself. Um, you know, at least made me feel more comfortable uh, knowing, you know, all the work that's going on, uh, and you know, behind the scenes in the school district. So, thanks for just kind of elaborating on that. And I credit our principals who, who lead buildings, who are there every day, um, working with the staff and students and families, and take this very seriously. This is a, obviously a very 
sensitive topic. Um, we want to make sure we are preparing people and trying to make sure that we have the right systems in place to you know, um, ha have our buildings be as safe as possible. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, thank you, Mr. Jagir. Um, so one thing that you mentioned that piqued my interest was around the on new online training platform. Um, can you speak a little bit about that in, in terms of like, what was done before this platform was uh, developed, and then like what are the benefits that we're getting out of this? So when we've had new policies, we've <coughs> pushed out um, a new policy and provided an update to staff. Um, we've used Google Classroom to house our policies and procedures and ask folks to review. Um, our principals have spent dedicated some time during staff meetings to allow for our faculty to review um, some of those uh, training modules and look through. Um, when we've had a new policy, like our social media policy, we've had to provide and elaborate a little bit further. But, but basically, we've had folks read, sign off. Um, our principals have been involved in engaging them. But we, need, we realized that um, we had an opportunity to enhance that, provide um, uh, Arcs Ed, which is a company, it's a Massachusetts-based company, and one of the draws there was um, it was created by um, folks who work in education for educators, and it's really focused on Massachusetts policy and federal policy, but ultimately um, the state the state guidelines and all of their videos. And um, um, I've received some positive feedback so far from folks who've done it. I, I took the training as well, and I have some positive things to say. So. While it includes our specific district policies, it pairs it with um, a series of infographs, videos um, that are, allow folks to interact in a way that's uh, more meaningful and than just reading text or engaging, so. Great, thank you. And does this allow you to be able to see like the completion rate and track how things are progressing and then be able to circle back if we need to um, force, uh, ensure that people do the training? Is that it has streamlined that. Uh, we've in the past had people sign off um, saying, and we have access to see that, but this certainly creates a dashboard and an account. You can actually see where people are in their progression. So if someone got through, say they completed five out of the 14, we'd be able to know that, maybe prompt and, and get a sense. And at the end of it, you know, um, it doesn't mean we don't continue those discussions when we talk about bullying and harassment and whatnot. I mean, these are advisory topics. Um, but this is more about that mandated training. So while it's compliance driven, as far as mandated trainings go, um, there's also um, a lot of intersectionality between what our focus and what our goal areas are to try to continue to help support our staff and students in different areas. Okay, great, great, thank you, appreciate that, sure. that update. How's that? Uh, thank you for these updates. Yeah, it sounds like the um, both professional development days as well as the school safety days are a really beneficial training for all. Um, teachers and staff, and thank you for um, you know, looking through the website as well to update, making sure that all the relevant information um, is easily accessible for um, our communities. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, just, just to clarify, is October 7th a half-day PD day? Did I hear that? Friday the 7th is an early release. I read all the newsletters, and I sit here, I vote it on the calendar, and still they get by me sometimes. <laughs> October 7th, got on the post-it. <laughs> um, I also really liked that who to contact to resolve an issue piece of the website. I think that that's um, an important thing and hopefully that can get pushed out somehow. Maybe that goes through newsletters or emails or we, something. It, it was part of a first, first hit mm -hmm. with like four or five items that was kind of a 
a longer email, but it was the back to school and making sure that we had some timely information out. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to inundate people with five or six individual ones at once, but I think we can revisit that, push that out um, mm -hmm. in a way that's appropriate. Yeah. Because I think it will help people really understand who they should be contacting. For example, a school committee member, it's not in the purview of the school committee to deal with a student issue. Right. But if you have this language, maybe there's a way we could script kind of a response that says, you know, this it sounds like you have a student issue, I would direct you to go to the person closest to the issue, visit the site, that type of thing. Um, right, not only does it help the families that are having an issue, but it helps, you know, building admin or school committee members, right. or members or other people that might be getting these requests that they'd love to help, but it's not really there. Right, right. You know. Right. Where they're, like you're saying, they're, they're, um, right. Yeah, it sounds like really good um, streamlining of information and training and a lot of report, really great stuff. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. All uh, right, moving right along to guests and presentations. District here, I believe, first on the agenda is the district improvement plan. Yes. Yes, so um, we're going to move over to the uh, podium, and uh, I'm excited tonight to share uh, the district improvement plan and also our early childhood and elementary um, improvement plans. Um, as we kick this off um, this year, we worked really hard. I won't get ahead of the presentation or the slides, but I will say that this team has worked really hard, and for the first time that I can remember, we have a, um, a school improvement plan um, that's by level. So all five elementary schools um, worked really hard this summer to collaborate um, based on some of those district kind of high-level goals. I'm going to move with the camera, hopefully, just like the Mr. Rogers thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I worked really hard to be aligned, and one thing that we share commitment in is a shared experience for our students, and uh, I'm really excited about that, and I'm excited to present with Tina and Paula tonight. So. Without further ado, just to walk people through our strategic planning cycle, this didn't start the first day of school. Um, our admin team has been actively working on this since last May. Um, the a strategic planning meeting took place with our principals, where they really tried to hone in on um, some of the priority areas and look at PD in particular at that time, but also provide feedback on some of those um, key, key areas that we wanted to tackle um, next year. At that time, if you remember in May, it was a bit of a transition as well. Um, I was going to be transitioning to my new role, um, and um, Dr. Hearn was going to be transitioning to her new role. So in the midst of it, this team um, really served as, as the anchor for our district, and I think that's something to really be proud of. I can't highlight enough the folks who um, were in these roles to be able to keep a steady ship when you have a captain kind of moving in and out. Um, I really can't speak enough about the team that I work with, and I'm really proud of, of the work that they do daily. Um, the pre-treat took place, so um, that was the day after school got out, and there's no rest for the weary. Um, this team was, was ready to go. I'm reminded of the, um, this might date how old I am, there was a, Emmett Smith had won the, uh, they, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl, and he, he was doing bench presses for this Nike commercial, and he talked about, um, you know, you just won the Super Bowl, what are you going to do, are you going to take time off, and he went, I just did. And then he kept going. So I think about this team, and they are a bunch of Emmett Smith, you know, 
people who came in and said the day after school's out, when, when it was probably a time where if I put my principal hat on, I wanted to be in my building, checking people out, making sure everything was squared away so that I could wrap up. They were meeting to talk about next year with us, so it's not lost on me. Um, from that meeting, we worked on summer groups, working groups, some of which you'll see uh, you'll see in the in the SIP presentations, and a lot of that work was how do we work in small mini teams to tackle some of these ideas throughout the summer, and uh, they did that as well um, with our leadership from um, Dr. Rogers and Mrs. Morano to work through the summer and, and do work on that with our assistant principals, who are also when I say admin, I mean all admin. Then we had a retreat in August, and we went to Dean College, far far commute. And we, we held a retreat there. It was basically a two-day, two-and-a-half-day administrative retreat where we really dug down and said, hey, we're going to really focus on what are, what are our shared goals and how do we turn these into actionable steps? And where do we have agreements and where can we create entry points for each school based on these goals? So, um, And then finally, um, some level-based meetings that took place in September with our teams and they really work together to, to create a plan that, that brings us through this year but also starts to look to move ahead with what a future year is going to look like as well. So for our presentation schedule, we had our digital learning integrationists who had completed their plan last year kick it off on the 13th. Um, tonight you'll hear about the DIP, District Improvement Plan, and then you'll hear from our Early Childhood Development Center and our elementary level on their plans. And then on October 11th, the next meeting, you'll hear from the secondary level. And then finally, we have our DEI um, director and the, and the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion who will present on um, the DEI plan, which is connected to these. You may have noticed in the dips tonight, you're going to hear from our elementary team, and they'll speak to um, the four main goal areas. Um, it'll be teed off by Paula and Tina. Um, but ultimately, the fifth goal area, we're going to dedicate um, a school committee meeting to just to work through and make sure. Um, but that does not mean that, that it's not happening and occurring. It actually is occurring, and that's how we've had it. So Paul will speak more to that later. And that's it. Thank you, guys. <laughs> 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 Told you less than 10 minutes. Yeah, we'll <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here we go. All right. So aligning our systems. Love a good systems conversation. <laughs> so for coherence and equitable student experiences. So as a district, right, you'll notice in the plans that we had some shared district-wide areas, which included our core values, our vision, theory of action, the strategic initiatives, which is what that work leading up through the fall was, how we've allocated resources, and how we've designed our professional development throughout the year, all aligned as a district to meet these goals. From a level-based perspective, they really worked on articulating those goals and the outcomes. And then by school, you have these goals, you have these actionable steps, but you have five elementaries that all have their own culture, their own place. They're all um, really working towards these goals in different areas, so the entry point might be different. right? So they're finding ways in which, where do I enter this particular goal? Where does, where does my colleague, but at the end of the year, we want to make sure that we have created some shared outcomes across those levels. And we just call attention to our portrait of a graduate, which is basically like that, that, um, it, that guiding beacon where we try to have um, students and what we work towards is really trying to create kids 
I say kids, but they'll be 18 when they receive that diploma most, and we want them to be uh, competent, self-aware. We want them to have empathy, right? We want them to be curious and creative and really have the ability to effectively communicate and problem solve. It's really what this comes down to, and collaborate. <coughs> so as I said, you'll notice this on each page. I will hit on this so that when the principals come up to do their level base, they can get into some of the strategic objectives and initiatives. But ultimately, um, we start with a vision. This is really uh, tied directly to the last slide, which talked about portrait of a graduate. It's really our aspiration for kids, and it's really defining future success. So whether they're in first grade, third grade, or 12th grade, it's what do we, what do we aspire, what skills, and I, I hit on that already. Our core values, these are principles that guide our decision making. Right? What do we value? Right? We wanna make sure that our schools are safe and inclusive, that we're setting high expectations, right? we're creating a collaborative community, and um, SEL is, is a focus. And then the theory of action, it's basically what beliefs do we hold and uh, will be the impact of our actions. So if we do those things, right, if we create those environments, then every student will have the skills that they need to be successful right, as they move forward. So when we do our strategic planning and we look at our strategic object objectives, these are our, our overarching goals, our key levers of improvement that we want to see to achieve the vision, the what and the why, to achieve the vision we set. And then we have, then you'll hear from our principals later um, this evening about our strategic initiatives, which is the projects and programs that support um, and how we're gonna achieve these objectives. This is the how. And then we have our outcomes, which me measure the success of our plans. So if you've noticed our first four strategic objectives, supporting social emotional well-being of staff and students, engaging rigorous curriculum, high quality instruction to meet the academic and SEL needs, and engaging in two-way communication. These are our strategic objectives that we've had actually since 2018. But you will then notice that our initiatives, our action steps, and our outcomes have grown. And of course, then we had the interruption of the pandemic in between, so we, we have some, some room to grow. Um, and you will see that later as the principals um, present their plans later on tonight. Um, as Lucas mentioned, um, we had a lot of discussion this summer at our admin retreats about where do we put um, diversity, equity, inclusion? Do we, in, in, do we, in, yeah, I can't even use the word. Is it within our, all of our strategic, strategic objectives like it has been since 2019, or do we make it its own objective? Um, and there was lots of discussion, and what you'll notice is it's both. And we have woven it throughout all of our strategic objectives and initiatives. But we also, as you will hear on October 25th from, um, from Heidi Harris, thank you. Oh my God, I'm like blanking out today. Sorry, Heidi. <laughs> I came. Um, she'll talk about um, strategic objective number five, which will go into details of, of what those initiatives and outcomes will be. So our first, as we said, is social emotional well-being of students and staff. Um, so we're going to look, as you've heard, um, about our tiered systems of support for our screening and monitoring and communicating student progress in, this, in the SEL realm, as well as implementing um, these tracking and communicating student behaviors. Um, we talked about the discipline matrix. I think you heard about it earlier um, this fall. Um, and then, of course, as we see, the equitative action planning, which is also going to be talked about in objective number five. So we are already starting our underway, our advisory program in grades six through 12. Um, I'm hearing some positive feedback from our students, my son being one of them. 
um, of really you know developing those relationships and having um, figuring out that community um, of, of peers and teachers that they can go to those safe spaces. Um, we're looking at um, consistent SEL screening practices, the, the EDECA, as well as the DESA screening across all five middle schools. Um, this year we'll also be doing um, screening our students with surveys in grades six through 12 using the panorama screenings and those uh, surveys and those are, are we're beginning to get those um, up and running. And then of course we'll continue to monitor our, our student supports and progress through Panorama. Panorama is a student success platform. Um, what it's gonna allow us to do is have all our information in one place. So we're gonna be able to upload our academic data including um, MCAS data, the NWEA map data, access data, DESA data, as well as um, our attendance data, behavior monitoring and incident reporting as well. And it's all gonna be in one dashboard. So we'll be really be able to see and flag students who are having difficulties either in the academic realm or the SEL or behavioral realm. And then we'll be able to put interventions into place and then monitor progress using that one dashboard. So it's really instead of having all these different Google Sheets and spreadsheets and, and whatnot, we'll have one place to look at all of this data. So we're really excited for this to be up and running and we're hopefully we'll be up and running soon. That's part of the goal is getting this off the ground. It's a big lift. It's, it's been a, a huge lift. <laughs> but once once we get this, so that's part of the goal is actually getting the system built. Mm -hmm. Okay, so moving into strategic objective two, engaging in rigorous curriculum, you can see three initiatives of focus. Um, the first one being a kind of a continuation of last year and that all students have access to guaranteed and viable curriculum and high quality materials. So that's kind of an ongoing, it looks different at the different levels, but you can hear it kind of regularly about that cycle. So that's ongoing. Um, strategic initiative two is engaging in pre-K to 12 literacy review and developing a multi-year district literacy plan. So this is underway. Um, we have met, we have contracted with Hill for Literacy. They have come in, they're working with a district literacy team um, which I believe is upwards of 20, somewhere between 20 and 30 folks sit on this committee and are really working to drive a lot of this, um, this work that's happening, which we intend the outcome to be a multi-year plan. So you'll hear more about the pre-K to, to pre-K to five side of that tonight. Um, and then the third being evaluating standards-based grading, and this is um, really trying to understand grading practices and systems and to make sure that we're aligning um, our standards-based grading practices. So that's gonna look different at the primary level versus the secondary level. So you'll hear a bit about that. But there's a lot of committee work that's happening here, so you can see some of the outcomes um, articulated there. Um, the principals will speak in a little more detail about their action steps that are connected to them. And our next objective being high quality instruction to meet the academic and SEL needs of each learners, of each learner. Um, so we've been working, I would say, for two years to develop our universally designed systems on MTSS and UDL. Uh, we are working to implement tiered systems for screening, monitoring, similar to what Paula was saying around the SEL frame, the academic progress as well, and really having kind of a view of the whole student so we're able to provide these wraparound services from, from all um, facets. And then to continue our digital learning plan initiatives, which you heard at last school committee meeting. Um, so it's connected to one of the outcomes there you'll see at the bottom. Um, but speaking to the 
MTSS and UDL work. We've worked um, last year to start to kind of unpack what this means for us. What does MTSS mean? What does UDL mean as administrators last year? And we um, had the pleasure of inviting a speaker in the first day of school um, to really kind of kick some of, jumpstart that with all faculty. And we're bringing um, the consultants back in to do some work with the administrative team just to make sure that we're, we're not rushing the process, but we're really taking you know, slow and steady steps to understand what our tiered systems of supports are. And when we say universally designed learning, what does that mean? What does that look like? So we're not just kind of doing something new. Um, so we're really trying to be thoughtful kind of in the sequence of that um, and really have kind of a two-year plan of what that's going to look like. Um, and then as pa Paula had alluded to, we're really trying to use that panorama um, dashboard to deepen our understanding of how we use data to support. So we have all these data points, but how do we actually use those to inform instruction, to inform the various supports that are offered to students at different levels. So you'll hear about that in the individual, uh, I'm sorry, the level-based school curriculum plans. Strategic objective four was two-way communication. There's three main areas that we'll focus on for the district improvement plan. The first is related to facilities master planning and redistricting analysis. Um, as we've discussed and provided updates to the school committee, um, we've sent some emails to our staff and the community just around um, redistricting analysis. And um, more information is going to be coming on this, but this will be a year-long plan related to um, that goal. We are meeting with our space needs um, subcommittee um, next week. Is it next week, right? It's coming very quickly. Yes. <laughs> yes, everyone, yes it's, it's next week, um, but also we have a recommendation later um, in the meeting as well to work with a consultant group um, to help us with an analysis. So this will be a goal that will be outlined um, through a plan and really we're going to engage our community. So it's in a communication goal area because um, one thing we know is when it comes to this type of topic and work, communication is really uh, uh, a priority. So that's where it will live. Our community partnerships, we've had strong partnerships in the past. We, we plan to continue these um, along, along the way, um, rebuild some. Um, COVID certainly strained and, and created um, challenges and barriers for our ability to engage with our community and in person uh, in, in a meaningful way, but um, we hope to continue to do that as well um, through um, existing groups such as um, School Wellness Advisory Council, through uh, our Substance Abuse Task Force, but um, also look for other ways. We have principals who have school councils um, and just continue to engage our community. The last is building a foundation for the next strategy for improvement. So one thing we've set um, our a goal on is really trying to look at how can we build out our plans to be multi-year and have a multi-year strategy related to consistent goals. I feel like we've We've provided annually goals that have uh, built off of the previous year, but just being intentional about what year one, two, and three can look like in a particular goal area um, would be something that um, we will seek to do. And that will look, you can see from the outcomes, there'll be a few ways in which that looks. Um, and we'll just continue to look to communicate. And, uh, the website is, is one area that I mentioned, but that's one mode of communication that we'll look to continue to focus on. And objective five, is this me? Okay. Um, so objective five is uh, one of the 
recommendations was to create an equity action plan. So once again, thinking about those goals and multi-year strategies, looking at where are some prioritized areas. You'll hear um, more about DEI on October 25th, thank you Paula, um, where um, Heidi Harris will um, join us and present on the DEI plan and it will hit on all the facets of our system and, and where we can uh, have those recommendations and build a, a plan that engages our community in the work and takes into consideration the recommendations. So um, there's also a lot of work happening at each level with students that are supported. So um, in the DEI realm, there'll be student supports, equity action planning, and engaging our stakeholders in our community in the work. Okay, so those were the, the big strategic objectives. <coughs> and we transition to the school improvement plans. But we've hit on, just so you know, when they come up, they'll focus on the goals and the action steps, but they're all linked to these particular objective areas. So I just would call attention to that, but I will pause. You wanna pause or you wanna roll into what would, I can pause for questions on the district presentation. Sure. And then, um, Camille, do you have any questions or comments? I, I just wanted to ask, it might be that in other districts it's called something else, but can you um, define what a literacy review is? Sure. So we are we are contracting with Hill for Literacy, a third party consultant to come in to help us with the process, but ultimately they're coming in to um, gather educator feedback they are, um, they will be conducting interviews in all of the schools and pulling those that teach literacy um, together to, to hear from them what are some best practices that are being used, um, what are some resources that are being used, and really trying to gather information about what we do at the various levels um, when teaching literacy. And then similar to our equity audit, when they came in to kind of gather data and information, they'll then share back a report with us that will then um, guide our process for a curriculum review. Um, so we're thinking, you know, at the pre-K pre five level, what curriculum resources are out there that are of high quality, that can provide students with equitable access to tier one instruction. Um, and then at the, at the secondary level, more of a multi-year phase plan is what we're um, being told will come out of this around the different units of studies and recommendations around potentially some literature that can be embedded um, within units of study and such. So, um, so that's kind of what the process is gonna look like. Thank you. Um, and I had another question. Uh, this, I just wanted to hear a little bit more about the standards-based learning. I heard you mention it might look different at different levels, but it is being looked at at all levels. Yeah, so the standards-based grading report card at the elementary level um, hasn't been reviewed in a few years. So we are looking towards putting a committee together to start to review this would really be a multi-year plan because where we're entering the literacy audit, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to dig too deeply into the literacy realm of the standards-based report card for K-5 but more of a focus on the math side since we've been some, through some curriculum revision over the past two years. You'd also notice, I noticed parents sitting on the committee potentially, some of the work habits that are on the report card could, could use a little uh, review. So that's, that's what we mean when we say standards-based grading there. And also when we think about the different, you know, mastery and progressing and, and the different um, 
the, the different delineations that are on the report card, where are staff and their understanding of what does it mean if I say a student has mastered in term one this particular standard? And my, my interpretation might be different than somebody next to me if we didn't receive the same training that happened you know, however, however many year, years back. So that's really the K-5 realm. The 6-8 realm um, looks a little bit different because there's no standards-based grading um, holistically across 6-12 generally, but 6-8 has worked over the past few years in committees to do some book studies together around what does standards-based grading, grading look like at the secondary level, so we're really looking to explore that more. There's been a lot of teachers that have used standards-based grading um, in their classrooms, and we're trying to kind of identify what barriers exist um, that we can kind of remove so that we can move the work forward. So that com committee just functions a little bit different because there isn't currently a standards-based report card or a process in place at the secondary level. Thank you, no more questions. Dave Kelly. Thank you. I have a couple of comments. Want me to throw them all out? Or sure. No, go ahead. Um, first, I just wanted to, um, commend uh, uh, you guys, everybody. You talk about having like the pre-treat, like the very next day uh, after uh, the school year ended. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm continually impressed with all the work uh, that, that you and your team uh, here in the district do. Um, you know, it's just one more indicator. So just, you know, please keep up the, the great uh, and hard work that you're doing. Something else too, uh, was it, like slide two, you know, we've seen the portrait of the graduate. And we've, in, in you know, so many different uh, meetings. We've continued to, to see the portrait of the graduate and hear about the portrait of the graduate. Um, and I'm, I'm so thankful that even after Dr. Hearn, you know, kind of leaving and, and you coming into the new role, that's something that has remained consistent as that <coughs> in life, uh, because I do think that's an incredible uh, principle that we have that always to kind of keep the focus moving. And I'm so thankful that it's continually been popping up in all of these presentations. One question that I have with the panorama. So, is that that's a service that we that we contract for? So right now, do you know like how long is that contract that we have with? The right company? now, it's it's we do it yearly. So right now, it's a one year contract. Um, but we will obviously, if we find it's useful, which we think we will, um, we'll act, you know we'll we'll find the funds, right, Miriam, um, to renew it again. <laughs> so. It, you know, I definitely, I, I've, uh, I, I know, Mr. Jigger, we've, you know, spoken about, uh, I've kind of seen, you know, some of it in action. It definitely it has some great potential. Mm -hmm. If we don't renew the contract, how does that data kind of come back to us? Like with, like Google, for instance, you can do like that Google takeout and you get all of your data on your own personal computer. Would we be able to get all of the student data off of the panorama if we no longer utilize it? It is my understanding, yes, because a lot of the data is being uploaded from our ASCEN system, so it's automatically being uploaded nightly, actually, um, through ASCEN and then NWDA, the NWDA, NWEA, <laughs> um, automatically uploads as well. So a lot of that data will automatically upload or else we have to input it ourselves. So we'll have all that data, it just won't be in that nice package that we're going to Okay, panorama yeah. will for us, provide for us. Wonderful. Yeah, I just want to make sure it's not just something Absolutely. That we, we oh, no, or that we have to keep paying the contract right. in order to right. maintain. Um, Dr. Rogers, I want to say too, one, you talked about uh, when you referenced like UDL, like what does that mean? It's not mm -hmm. just the term. I love that that thinking because it is so important to kind of just to, to critically view 
you know, everything. They have a deep understanding of, you know, each new you know, system that we're doing, the program that we're, we're launching. And on that too, we also talked about like having a deeper understanding of the data. Because it's, it's easy to collect data, but to figure out what that all means, that's where uh, the, the difficulty comes from. And so I love seeing that as, as one of the outcomes, because that's, that's a lot of work, but it's very important work. So that's great to see. Um, one of the things, I'm always a little cautious when I see the term stakeholder. Mm -hmm. Because you know, kind of what when I hear that word, that kind of the group of people that I'm envisioning might be different than, than the person that you know, the people that you might. Would you just be able to elaborate, like when you kind of use the term yeah. stakeholder and some of this, who exactly? So you're right. I think depending on the context, I think you're right. Using the word stakeholder can have different different meanings. With regard to a redistricting analysis, the stakeholders that we envision include um, our families, parents, guardians, caregivers, our staff, our leadership. Our central office, our school committee, students are all who I would, I would envision related. Um, our facilities um, folks who work um, closely within our facilities, transportation, our business manager, of course. Um, and th those are stakeholders involved in my mind um, with any kind of analysis in that level. So that's why I'm in that particular context. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Sure. <laughs> so just to echo my colleagues' comments, uh, appreciate all of the work that all of you have done. Um, it just shows the prep work that we're doing to really set the foundation strong and really build upon this and grow. Um, the part that really wants to gravitate I grab into is around panorama. I feel like that's going to be phenomenal for, for the school to be able to see holistically where things are and the trending. Um, is there going to be a view that a parent may have for, the, for their own individual child in their history, is that part of that product as well, or is it mostly just for um, administration? It's mostly for administration and teachers. Very great, thank you. And then, um, as far as the updates on the goals and how we're progressing, is this going to be a quarterly update that we'll get? Like, I guess, what's the frequency that we? So I, I don't want to steal the thunder of our, um, of our uh, admin who are going to present um, their SIPs, but. We have goals and we had um, a, a district view from this perch. Um, as we get into those school improvement plans, you're gonna see actionable steps with some um, more uh, some more clearly defined outcomes by level. So I think it'll lend itself to um, one of the purposes of us designing this process this way was, it's pretty clear today on what we can expect to be sharing out progress on tomorrow or in the spring or whenever the time is to present out on these goals. So um, you'll notice in the plans and when our um, admins speak to particular goals, those outcomes are tied directly to actionable steps. So that's how um, I envision us sharing out is really connected to what did we say we were going to try to accomplish this year um, in, in our SIPs, and then that's what you can expect. So, ready? Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, this overview. I know we you know, hear a lot about multi-tiered systems of support, and it's uh, um, yeah, great to see how there's a plan to keep going about improving on those, as well as um, you know, developing you know, improvement tracking systems and support systems for um, social emotional learning, as well as improving the curriculum. So uh, thank you very much. Elise? Oh, yeah. Um, I thought there was a follow-up question. Um, 
Um, okay, I think this is all, I think, phenomenal. So much work has gone into this. I think I'm feeling a lot of comfort in the first four because we've worked with these over a number of years and excitement about the fifth one because mm -hmm. we've talked about that so much and now we're like putting it right on paper, right at like equal um, status or importance with the other four. And that all feels really good. I guess the one question I have, um, sort of like with the big picture with that awesome slide with the, the road and the timeline, the bumpy road, but we all made it through type of thing. Um, I love this, I love this slide. So I, I do wonder, like, like, are there teacher voices involved in this process? So is there like a trickle up <laughs> as far as like teacher voices? I know, you know, obviously um, with the visioning, you know, this is all, your role, all of the people in this room, um, to create this and then sort of figure out how to um, bring it forward, you know, through the building-based staff all to our students and family. Um, but also I think that their feedback and experience being, you know, around, um, a lot of teachers having a lot of seniority and being here for a really long time and sort of living through a number of different um, Central office seasons, mm -hmm. you know, we'll say, um, and just sort of, I guess, in our society, different trends, you know, as far as not to jump ahead, but like science of reading or whatever it is, like the, you know, certain pendulums will swing and whatnot. And I guess I just wonder, are there are there teacher voices in this, or how, you know, like how is how is that how is that factor in? I'll answer, but I also would want to save some air for, for others and let the presentation play out because in some of these areas, it's a great question. Um, when we think about the idea of making sure that we have systems in place that allow teachers to have information that's digestible, accessible, and able to put plans in place. Our admin have worked really hard with our teachers on designing, what do we do with this DESA information, for example, at the elementary level? They've created multiple tools, toolkits, strategies to, to try to really engage. Our SEL committee worked hard, this is just an example with DESA, to put together um, what types of interventions or responses can we have for kids who are flagged um, as needing um, support in a particular SEL skill, for example. So a lot of that work um, has gone in. What we're um, really focused on this year is, and I'm gonna say it, I know it's said it a lot, Systems. We're trying to make sure that we have systems in place that are consistent and we have consistent resources and support for all teachers across all schools mm -hmm. in a way that helps um, support this work. So um, with that in mind, that's one example. Um, I think as we hear from others around some of the curriculum initiatives, some of the work that's happening, um, literacy across all of our levels um, is an area that has come up um, time and time again as an area of focus. Um, science at the middle school level, when I think about some of the work that's happened with Dr. Rogers and the committees that have been put together, I'm going to give a few examples that way. I'll pause there because I don't want to overspeak, but um, I would say yes, and we'll continue to look for ways to engage uh, our, our teachers and, I won't say stakeholders, uh, <laughs> our, our constituents. Is that presentation and uh, yeah I'm always impressed with our district's dedication hard work focus and, and planning that, that goes on behind the scenes and the you know adjustments and sort of like um, assessments right that are always going on with that stuff so it's great thanks we'll hear from 
Thank you. Thank you. So next I will call up Ms. Kelsey Kelly, principal of our ECDC. My slides. Yeah. My right slides. Here. Yeah. Okay. So she put together a visual. This is the way my brain works. That's all. <laughs> I couldn't put up the whole sip. I thought that was a lot of content. No, you can stay with me. I'm all of them. So, hi. Um, yeah, I'm going to trip over it. Um, so, I'm Kelsey Kelly. I'm the principal at ECDC. Um, and, yeah, this is the way my brain works. So, I took the SIP and I kind of put it in perspective. You all have the actual document. I don't need to reread it to you, but I wanted to provide kind of an overview. I will say we got an email from Lucas asking for specific examples, and I've um, two handouts that you can pick up after that I'll kind of allude to, so you kind of have some idea. So I always start like we start our um, our district improvement plan. We go right to our core values and mission. And if you ask about where the teachers are involved, this, if we all come from this place, we've done all this work together, the ideas that come up in the improvement plan really come from the work they've done, and the families as well. So starting with social emotional well-being of staff and students, um, I think you're going to see from us this continued focus on SEL. Now, I've talked about this before at the early childhood level. This has always been the foundation, but we haven't always been able to tell the story of that foundation. Our teachers are all special educators, so they do an amazing job at monitoring, collecting data on every student, and they recognize some of these challenges. But again, it's all in how we um, do it intentionally and can reflect on it intentionally. So one of the things that's going to come out are, one of the things we noticed um, in our screening and testing processes. So this is, we have an obligation to test students who aren't enrolled at ECDC, who have a possible area of disability as well. It's, a, it's actually a legal mandate to find, so if you know of any, send them my way every child who would require specialized instruction. So we provide regular screenings and evaluations as needed for children. And our typical screenings for years have always included a general educational screening and a speech and language screening. We've noticed that sometimes kids come in and they can do those basic content questions, they can count, they can sort, they know who you are, they can say your name, but they go to preschool and they're ripping up the building. But our tools didn't necessarily tell that story. So one of the things we're doing this year is we are using the, the DECA to help in those cases. Now we can't conduct the DECA, it's a screening, on students unless we know them. I forget if it's eight weeks or 12 weeks. But their parents can complete it, and caregivers can complete it. So that's what we're doing. We're instituting a new, a new procedure that came out of 
things that came up with teachers and feedback, and I think it's going to make us stronger overall. Um, and likewise, we're going to be able to use that same data when we do social-emotional tracking on our own students. So again, it's a tool that's going to provide us with targeted interventions. I printed out for you, this sheet actually is a redacted copy of um, something that a child was done on a child last February. And this child was found to be an area of need. We look at three protective factors, initiative, attachment relationships, and self-regulation, as well as behavior. Their areas of need were initiative and self-regulation. In DECA, you can actually print out um, a list of targeted inventions. My fingers don't want to work right now. For the classroom or for the family. I did it for both for you, but they're a home strategy. So children that we screen that, okay, maybe we still don't think they need a full eval right now. We can now send them home with some targeted interventions and then have them follow up with us in three to six months. And so it's gonna just help us better tell the story of children who've come through that, yes, behaviors at three years old that seem developmentally appropriate probably are, but by four, if that behavior hasn't improved, it's probably an indicator of something more. Um, so that's kind of the big piece there. There's also um, a copy of just general, this is the three protective factors. There's one for, for each of them. And these are just strategies, again, for families. Simple things for attachment. What can you do? Hugging, cuddle together. There's nothing more important than that, taking that time. And sometimes parents need to be given the permission to do that. And so these are simple things that are available to families through the DECA. So thank you, Paula. We're very grateful to have it. <laughs> um, and then for us this year, our biggest um, challenge, and I think I've shared this before, is our Comprehensive curriculum, Big Day for Pre-K, um, has gone kind of out of print and has shut down. And it's a big process to, to figure out something else. Um, I will say that Tina and Tim have been amazing in helping us try to track down materials, even now, for the three new classrooms that we have. So we're really finding ourselves in this place where teachers are so, um, they're so creative and they're able to make things happen. Um, but we do have an obligation to ensure that all students have access to equitable materials. And this happened to no one's fault, but we're doing everything we can in the short term. I know that the, um, the new curriculum will be a process to decide, but we actually don't wanna go forward till the literacy audit's done, so that can help inform it. And you know, my job is always to make sure that it remains developmentally appropriate, play-based, and um, really is comprehensive for every child. But all of these pieces come directly from the staff. We're also, we have handwriting without tears, and we're rolling out simple pieces of that with our occupational therapists. We actually got, um, we have nine kids, now we have 10 classrooms, so we, again, need to get some more materials for that, but what we have now, we certainly can make it work, um, and then to decide where to go, and 
again, zones of regulation, second step, all things that teachers have really um, wanted to take on and have created SMART goals around them to help inform that process. And again, this is, this is UDL and MTSS. Um, at ECDC, I actually purchased a course, Paula helped me, um, for staff to take it, fitting it in with, first of all, let me say, I am very pleased by the um, ongoing professional development plan. I think it really helps us plan better. Um, this, because we have all of that, this might take us two years to get through, but it is, it's about 12 to 14 hours, um, and I think it's giving my teachers the actual real focus on MTSS, but also working to help them identify all the UDL they're already doing, right? That's the focus of what we are and who we are and of our core values. So those are gonna be big pieces to make sure that um, we have what we need and they understand what tier one is. My teachers are special educators, so they provide interventions all over the place. Sometimes what's tier one and tier three can get um, mixed up when it's just naturally who you are. So we want to create, in terms of SEL, a clear map of what the expectations are and when do we move to an eval. Say sometimes we have students who are enrolled as typical peers, um, and I say that with, um, there's such a range of development, and they may need supports, but we need to demonstrate that we've tried interventions first before we jump to that level. And again, to be able to tell the story of it. Um, and the, the other piece was in looking at all of the assessments we do. Again, we do a lot of initial evaluations, a lot of <coughs> formal evaluations, IEPs, goal writing. We're actually building time into our schedule this year to Really, we have so many people doing the testing and the, and the report writing to somewhat calibrate and to support each other by sharing ideas and how we do it um, to make sure that we have a good understanding. So that it's, again, it's making sure that we're all recognizing the same areas of weakness, areas of strength, and similar interventions so that every child who comes through gets an gets access to a similar um, experience. Um, also, we're working on our communication to families around screenings. They'll get a lot mo more information than they have in the past because we want to make sure that they understand um, and are able to take those next steps. And then two-way communication. Um, I have seen a tremendous um, challenge here. COVID has really hit us hard in a way of um, getting those families to be coming back into the building. I'm having a hard, like my coffee with the principal, my, um, I'm doing volunteer trainings, which usually I have lots of people at them. Um, people aren't coming in and I think people are overwhelmed so we need to rethink and how we do this and how we tell the story of, of getting them out there that's a big push I have and get people to know they can too because many of the families who've come in don't know ECDC without COVID 
so to know and understand and retell that story because we most of our students are with us for less than two years um, so most don't know that these were things that were available to them so how do we make sure we have no assumptions and make sure families have these opportunities I think going back to an in-person fun curriculum open house night which is what we always do um, I think that's going to be a really important piece to have people there to help talk and make those connections and help people come through the door um, and then I think we also have to really focus on recruiting highly skilled staff that reflect the students and families at ECDC and I I really want to you know put a point on that I think that's going to take time but I think it's something that um, is really important we have a very diverse group of, of families at ECDC and we are have to we have to find highly skilled staff who can help us do that I still have an opening so if anyone wants to come to ECDC this is my plug I have one ESP position um, come talk to me and that's it because I didn't break out DEI I just did the four that we are currently working on. Um, yeah. Before we send you back to the, <laughs> the audience, so if you're going to ask anyone any questions or comments, Camille, anything for Kelty? No, thank you. I, I'd like to celebrate that um, we do want staff that reflect our students. So thank you so much for ending on that note. Dave Kellyan. Thank you very much um, for the presentation. Um, just a couple things I'd love, uh, we talked about like the take-home map, yep. that's fantastic to be able to have that additional resources to the parents so they can work with the children and know, you know, like, yeah, some of the best practices and what to expect yep. moving forward. Um, the participation rate, you know, with, you know, the, with the COVID pause, uh, I was also really glad that, you know, that's being acknowledged but that, that no assumptions, uh, you know, I'm glad to say, you know, again, just to, to be able to, to rethink that strategy mm -hmm. and figure out it's not necessarily just to say, all right, you know, we're going to just reset and do exactly what we were doing before, but, you know, let's really rethink how to have best pull everybody back in. So that was, uh, you know, really glad to kind of hear that's the, the thought process. Um, and also, too, in terms of the recruitment, and, and I meant to, to mention this, too, uh, just in the overall FPS, but I'm glad that we already kind of have our eye mm -hmm. uh, on that recruitment phase. You know, obviously, I mean, it's worth, you have an opening yourself right now. We have the, you know, the three openings uh, in the classroom. You know, it's, it's an issue today, but it's going to also be an issue tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's something that, you know, we, we do need to have the focus on right now about how to continue to enhance uh, recruitment. So that way, you know, come September, you know, we, we're in, in, a, in a very good position. Mm -hmm. uh, next one. So thank you very much. Really appreciate everything. Yeah. Uh, no questions. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you very much for um, sharing all this with us. I, I really think it's I'm just so beneficial with the screenings of how you provide for really personalized educational and support experience for um, all ACBC students. And uh, just um, uh, a clarifying question. Um, so for the, the targeted interventions that are kind of created through these screenings, so those are um, interventions that are kind of shared with the parents and then also enacted in the home in tandem with the school curriculum for every individual um, yes. student? Yes. So, um, so last year we took 
EDEC and we did it with all of our students. Now remember our teachers are special educators so we kind of tried it. They are already doing the strategies in here. They already know them. Um, what we found were not to use it with everyone but for a child that they saw was having an issue um, to do it or a child who was doing great in class but the parents were reporting at home they're a different child which happens a lot um, and that can happen because we put certain structures and routines in place that are reflected in when you look at this document so the classroom ones my team didn't feel as helpful because they already knew to do them so if a child has an area this will be done and then these strategies specific interventions what i picked here are just a few there were more that you can pick and choose for each child i randomly picked them based on the initiative and self-regulation but what to be honest depending on the family you're working with you might pick two you might pick one let's start somewhere and I just wanted to show you a good range of things that are there. Some parents have the capacity and the desire to try lots of things. Um, some don't. And we know that because we know our families. And that doesn't mean they can't get there. But guess what? It's better for them if they start with one. Do one and do one well and then come back and then we'll do the next one. So that's really how this is, um, is designed to help us through that process. Yeah, thank you for that clarification. It seems like it's a very valuable tool to provide um, these uh, parents of these students with the supports to assist their education both at the home and ultimately, which you know, um, buttresses their educational experience in the, at the school. So, yeah, thank you for, uh, for that clarification. Thank you. I'm so excited about those resources. So, it's, um, I think there's a lot of power in it for a number of reasons, and um, especially because it's database so you're not just saying oh as a teacher I think you should right. this this and this you know it's like not my opinion it's oh you know based on this assessment these are sort of the matched interventions mm -hmm. and strategies that could be helpful for your kiddo and um, I think that it, it really provides like almost like tier two support mm -hmm. for kids that don't necessarily qualify for special education so they're not coming into EPDC yeah. yet but they're going to come into Franklin Public School mm -hmm. when they're in kindergarten and so like how can they get a little bit more targeted right. instruction whether it's from the families or maybe their families can then share it with their you know daycare providers or community preschool staff yeah. um, and it, it looks you know pretty and sort of formal but um, sim simple and provided the caregiver some are child care providers some are you know just grandparents um, we can share them with them as well you know so here that's when I would do like this and say you know you can share this with the classroom because the classroom isn't just our classroom it can be the other environment as well 
Right, absolutely. And then that gives you data. Yes. You know, so then if they're like, oh, we've been implementing this in the community preschool for you know, 10 months or something, um, or like you're saying, your special educators, they already know this stuff, they do this stuff, but if it comes up as you know, a, a result on the eDECA, then, then when they have to, if, if they're gonna move forward in a process, they yeah. can say, oh, let me just look over, oh yeah, we've been definitely doing that, I always do that, we've exactly. been, you know, and so they might not be using it as ideas, but they're right. using it to sort of validate what practices they've tried, strategies they've tried that maybe haven't worked. So looking for, yeah. you know, more robust support. Yeah. Um, anyways, that's just really exciting. Um, and I love, you referenced something about a round table with specialists in here, which I was so excited about. I feel like that could be really helpful, beneficial, and sort of like um, help families understand, you know, they might have an idea what they think a speech therapist does. Yeah. Based on like a very tiny um, percent of what they actually do, because they do so many great things, for right. example. Um, and then there was, there was a quote in here that I just had to pull. So it was in 3D. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like, the structured one where I'm like referencing the actual numbers and letters. Yeah. So, um, 3B, um, and the final bullet in the outcomes, I think. Oh, actually in the document. And I don't have it in front of me. Read it to me in the That's okay, I'll just read it to you. <laughs> so I said I love the final bullet. So the quote was, evaluations and IEPs will be consistently calibrated through collaboration although still unique and child dependent. Yes. And I was like, yes. what a beautiful way to say that. <laughs> so basically you're saying, you're saying like across different evaluators, we want like a, a child or family to get the same experience, no matter which evaluator sort of has time in right. their schedule. We want them to have, you know, the, an equitable um, chance or experience with the evaluation, but we're not making, it's not a cookie cutter. We're right. not copying and pasting and changing the kiddo's name. And so I feel like the, the wording of that um, can I do one more? Mm -hmm. Okay, so there was one more, um, so in the final, in the final one, the staff recruitment one actually. Yep. So there was a quote here, and I guess I just want a little bit, like I'm having trouble imagining it. So um, it was, staff will begin to reflect on the student community one higher at a time. And I'm like, ooh, I like the feeling of that. But what does that mean, really? So I think it not it shouldn't be reflect on it should be reflect. So each okay. high. Oh, okay. yes. I think so like that. thinking. No, about okay. I, I think I think the idea is that we want to do what we want to be mindful. And I, you know, I thought that was something you were addressing, and I wasn't necessarily going to go in detail, but mm -hmm. I do think it's something we have a committee of teachers that we feel this is really important, and I don't have a, I haven't been. So Super successful, so I'm looking to you, Heidi, to help me. Um, to be more mindful about how we do it, and, and again, I think we've made some nice progress, but there's still more to to do. And I wanted to just kind of say we're 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 committed to doing that from a, a one higher at a time. Yes, gotcha. Okay, that that reflect on versus reflect doing basically. <laughs> Even though they can reflect on it yes, too, yes. you're reflecting. Yes, on it, I can tell. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for, for the presentation. And uh, yeah, two, two of my kids are in special education, mm -hmm. and, and uh, they're all three have gone through ECDC. One is a, um, you know, a sibling, right? Yep, yep. Um, and they've really benefited greatly from it. It's really, uh, you know, great service you know, that we have in this community. So it's great to hear that you're doing all this work and put all separate into this. Thank thanks. you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Thank you.
Thanks for sitting with me. No. Next, we have our elementary school improvement plan um, presented tonight by our principals from our elementary schools. Um, and I'm going to invite up Brad Henderson from Oak Street, Eric Stark from Keller Elementary, Shannon Barker from Parmenter, and Sirav, Dr. Saravi Conley from the JFK Elementary School.
our classroom teachers, in collaboration with the school counselors and school psychologists, are implementing a universal evidence-based SEL curriculum this year um, called Second Step, which clearly it has a, a clearly delineated scope and sequence that progresses across grade levels and throughout the years. Um, some teachers trialed this last year, um, and, and to your point, Elise, um, you know, some real positive feedback came back from that with the evidence-based um, tier one level instruction that all students will get. Um, and, and it provides a very nice um, progression of competencies and skills, and it integrates the competencies in our core values quite nicely. Um, and then at the tier two and tier three level, our counselors are working together to continue to develop appropriate tier two and tier three outside of that universal classroom instruction um, based on the student's specific needs and planned outcomes. So again, when I talked to you, what I said a little earlier about triangulating the data, we have the DESA tool, but we have other tools that we're using as well. Um, teachers are using self-assessments, progress monitoring screeners. Um, there's a, a one called the closed gap um, that we started using again in the spring last year. We're using more consistently this year, which is an emotional check-in that students are able to do either by themselves independently or with a counselor. Um, and it identifies their feelings, their feelings about themselves, feelings about school, feelings about home, and then it appropriately matches different strategies that the student can use. And the student identifies what strategy they used when they felt angry and if it worked or not. And then this program helps to match with a better strategy that might help them um, regulate their emotions more. And then also through that, uh, depending on the tier level, um, oftentimes with tier three, what you'll find is the counselors um, and the school psychologists working to develop SEL goals and backwards, de backwards design plans based on those students' individual goals. And it's throughout the year. So this could happen through counseling sessions. This could happen through um, very strategic check-ins and SEL self-assessments um, and their progress monitoring along the way to ensure that the student is meeting their goal. So the next initiative is 1B um, and as you're aware from Eric Stark's student and family handbook presentation at the previous school committee meeting, we've revised our code of character, conduct, and support um, with a tiered consequences and interventions through our newly developed discipline matrix to ensure a consistent response to student behaviors and making sure that that response is, is appropriate for who is responding and how they are responding at different tiered levels. Uh, it's almost like the communication plan, who, who intervenes first, um, who supports the child first, and if it's not working or if we start to see a pattern of behavior, it rises up a level. Obviously, um, violent, um, offensive, um, behavior will automatically rise up to a higher tier. And then finally for 1C, we continue to refine our practices to ensure that our core values of diversity, equity, and inclusion are embedded in everything we do, whether it's curriculum, responses, language, our resource selection. Um, we, we really want to make sure that we are thoughtfully planning. It st has to start at the planning process and that it needs to continue through any type of culturally response, um, responsive practices that we are engaging in with our students and how we're modeling that ourselves. Um, and we're proud to share that we've already engaged in two ADL anti-bias uh, workshops already this year, um, and it's still September. 
Hi, good to see you all. Brad Hendrickson, Principal Oak Street Elementary. I'm going to be talking through uh, strategic initiatives and action steps for uh, strategic objective number two, engaging in rigorous curriculum. I should say thank you, Mrs. Barker. You're welcome, and I should say I'm Mrs. Barker, the principal of Parmenter Elementary School. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got that feedback once. I did like an open house, and somebody gave me the feedback. They're like, you should inter introduce yourself every. Well, time. you didn't give me that feedback, <laughs> so thank you. So I'm going to talk through two pretty big rocks that are up here, um, talking about math. Uh, curriculum and then literacy review, creating a literacy review plan. So I'll talk through those um, as I go here. So we're in year two of the illustrative math curriculum, which is a coherent research-based problem-solving curriculum um, that we use in, well, it's K to eight, but we're gonna talk specifically about K to five today. Um, and our goal basically is that all students will have access to this high quality uh, math curriculum daily. Um, and what that looks like in year two, being that this is a problem-based curriculum, um, it's a different way of teaching math, different from the way that I uh, learned math and the way that I taught math in some areas, uh, but it really feeds the way of developing a conceptual understanding and having students really own um, the math that they're learning. Uh, what that looks like in year two is our, I'm gonna talk a lot about the math specialists. They're owning a lot of this work in our buildings. Uh, they're gonna be working with teachers during common planning time uh, to really help them unpack units of study, continue to do that work, and unpack lessons uh, with a focus on what are the questioning, you know, how are you using questioning in your lessons um, to, to help students develop and deepen their thinking. And then also like mining for specific responses, who are you going to call on to share their thinking uh, with the class uh, so then they're able to support and elevate the learning of all students within the classroom. Um, becomes more of an artistry to, to math teaching. Um, and that's some of the focus that we're doing, uh, continuing that work in year two. Um, some things that we're doing um, to enhance the work, uh, the math specialists are really working around fluency, tiers of instruction, and assessment. Uh, this summer, they started with fluency, they revamped the fluency assessments to make them uh, interview style uh, um, assessments with the students to get some specific information of where students' needs are, and then they match that up with specific games that teachers can turn key and use to address the needs in the classroom. Um, with tiers of instruction, uh, they're developing a tier two intervention plan for all grade levels. Uh, it's really formalizing the work that they started last year with the interventionists at the building level, um, helping them to design uh, specific interventions in mathematics um, that are just-in-time interventions for students while still giving students access to tier one um, instruction. And then with assessment, uh, they're working to tailor the IM assessments uh, to be more comprehensive um, and fully address the standards and make sure that we're providing information for teachers that's actionable around what it is that they just taught and what it is that students have uh, internalized and mastered. Um, and then switching to, to be the literacy review, uh, this is a big piece of, um, of, of what we're excited about in elementary school if we're talking about uh, tier one and core programming. Uh, this is a big thing that we do in elementary school, and so we're excited to be engaging in this uh, uh, comprehensive uh, review of our literacy program. Um, so we're partnering with Hill for Literacy and the literacy specialists to, to go through this process. Basically, it starts with, you know, Dr. Rogers talked about it. Um, what they're going to be doing is, is collecting data, doing interviews to determine a root cause, and then they'll work with us to create a plan to address those 
um, needs. And then along that line, we're also going to be engaging in the Science of Reading PD, um, which is a multi-year piece as well. But for this year, we're going to have five different sessions that teachers will engage in um, starting in November, I believe. Um, and then the last piece, the Science of Reading PD, um, this is just an opportunity for our teachers uh, to learn more about um, you know, what is the research-based, the, the latest research-based practices for literacy. Um, a ways for them to think about as we're doing this process and trying to do a curriculum review, but right now, what can we do to enhance our practices in the classroom and revise our current units of study uh, while we go through this multi-year uh, process? Um, and I think that's, that's those, are the, those are big things, but that, that's where we're focused, kind of continuing that work first to teach objective two. So I'll turn it to Mr. Stark and Dr. Conlon. First. Good evening, Saravi Connolly, principal at Kennedy Elementary School. So for strategic objective number three, delivering high quality instruction to meet academic needs for um, social emotional needs of each learner, our goal this year is to develop a common understanding of a multi-tiered uh, system of support, also known as MTSS, and universal design for learning, also known as UDL, across the elementary level. So in the past, we have used different components of MTSS um, within our buildings in varying capacities. Um, and with support from central office, we began our own professional development work last year. Uh, because we found that this work is so important to um, support the needs of all students, we decided to formalize it in our local-based school plan. Our action steps for this particular goal um, include participating in ongoing MTSS and UDL administrative trainings um, in order to effectively implement all components. Um, we want to create opportunities. Um, by doing that, it will also help us increase our own understanding and calibrate our work as we better support faculty and staff. Um, another action step is to create opportunities to provide MTSS and UDL trainings for faculty and staff as well. And this work started at convocation on August 29th when our superintendent gathered all faculty, staff, and administrators at the high school um, to kick off the school year. Uh, we had the opportunity to hear from uh, a keynote speaker, Mirko Chardon, Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer of Novak Education. Um, and he delivered a really powerful message about MTSS and UDO and how we can really effectively help us uh, serve our, our, our school community. So we look forward to continuing work with him and with MTSS. Um, another action step is to identify support systems within each tier with a focus on tier one. Um, one of our anticipated outcomes um, for this year is to identify instructional blocks and by doing that, it can help us uh, better support the implementation of evidence-based acceleration, enrichment, and intervention curriculum that allow for effective support for reading and math. Um, as we successfully complete all these action steps, uh, we'll be able to continue to provide our, all of our, our students with equitable access to high-quality grade-level materials and resources. Thank you, Dr. Conley. Uh, Eric Stark, Principal of Keller Elementary School. Uh, and thinking a little bit, you've heard about tiered systems um, for screening, monitoring, and communicating, particularly in the SEL realm. To think a little bit about academics, um, this year um, we're working uh, with Dr. Rogers and Dr. Frazier to develop a level-specific assessment calendar, which will include common screening tools, such as 
um, but not limited to NWEA, the NWEA map assessment. Uh, we will work to consistently analyze uh, multiple data points uh, to identify our students' strengths and areas for growth. And then with this information in mind, uh, collaboratively, we will set goals for students and provide them with tiered instruction. Communicating uh, assessment information and students' progress uh, with families will be a big focus for our work this year. So I can give you an example um, of what that might look like in this area. Um, so if you have a first grader, um, a uh, first grade student might benefit from tier one um, foundations instruction with some um, universal support such as a personalized word bank. Um, but then in addition, um, they may access a foundations reteaching group uh, with an instructional interventionist and you may hear as a parent that they're benefiting from all of those layers of support um, inside of the classroom um, and the teacher anticipates them um, continuing to make progress towards grade level mastery. So that's just an example of one way um, in which parents might be communicated with um, in addition to some of the work um, that is happening in the area of math um, as Mr. Jagir referenced um, connected to the PD plan. Um, finally, we want to conclude with strategic objective um, number four. Uh, so as it relates to this objective, uh, we want to note um, that just as kind of Mr. Jagir said, um, to some degree, um, COVID has um, strained all of our um, kind of physical connections with one another uh, in this year as an elementary level. Um, and Kelsey referenced this too at ECDC. We really want to focus on bringing that physical um, connection back. Um, so we're really proud to share an initial and early um, action step which is that all five elementary schools work to redesign our back-to-school nights um, to include the presence if families chose of students. Um, so students came uh, in some cases and accompanied their parent, guardian, caregivers. Um, they were proud to show them around their schools, introduce them to their um, teachers, um, and our turnout was some of the best we've had, just personally speaking, um, for Keller. So it truly felt like an um, inclusive, all-in night and a wonderful kind of initial step um, towards this goal. Um, and then just kind of a last uh, couple of comments. Um, I think it's important to note that the, this work doesn't end tonight. Um, there's a um, cadence um, that will take us through the year to accomplish all of these things. And where the teachers um, kind of pick up next is our work with them to align their SMART goals um, and to recruit them. Um, in addition to uh, all of our assistant principals and central office administrators to um, really lead and do the hard work um, connected to all these things. So. We have a saying at Keller that um, we say on our announcements, it's a great day to be a Keller kid, and I think it's a great time um, to be a student in Franklin Public Schools, given everything you've heard um, tonight. So we can entertain your questions. Okay. Thank you. Um, Camille did have to drop off. She still wants to really well. Um, so I will start with David Kelly. Uh, thank you all uh, very much. Um, one of the first things I, mean, I meant to, to mention this too during the PCDC, but I love the column of the person's responsible for each action. Uh, that's fantastic to see. Uh, just, you know, it obviously it adds you know, that much more thought, but then also kind of puts the respons you know, responsibility um, on, you know, each individual person. So it, it was fantastic to kind of see that breakdown. Um, a few questions. Uh, one of them, so we talked about uh, tracking students' behavior using uh, panorama. And so that's already in effect. 
It's not, no. Um, so we haven't rolled it out. Ms. Mrs. Morano was speaking earlier that it's um, a big undertaking just to get it up and running. So we have not rolled that out yet. We are um, anxiously waiting for it, um, but patiently, anxiously <laughs> and patiently waiting. Um, but it is important to note that we're not, we're not waiting on Panorama to track our students. So we are still using what is now archaic systems, but um, identifying every single student who requires a specific level, tier level of support, and um, doing it through our Google Forms, doing it through our folders, um, with very intentional and thoughtful um, work to make sure that we have all the data that we need um, and that we are tracking their progress or lack thereof and responding to it appropriately. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, this is just going to make our job so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really does seem like it's a fantastic tool. I'm, I'm excited to see you know where the district goes uh, with that with that tool and with all the data that we're able to pull from it. Um, and then also too, just, I just want to come in on the back to school night. Um, yeah, I got to go back uh, with my kindergartner to uh, to Kennedy, and it really was you know, he was just showing me around. Uh, and uh, I got I got the, the full tour despite. Already kind of been there for, for six years, um, <laughs> but it was um, it, it was a, it was a wonderful uh, opportunity uh, to be back in the schools, and I'm glad that it was successful across uh, the entire district. So uh, great job on, um, on that as well, amongst you know all the work that went into to this as well. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so one, thank you for the work that's been put into this. Uh, this along with the. Uh, ECDC um, PIP has been very impressive just to see really the thought that's been put into this, the expectation and really being able to, to account for what needs to be done to move forward and move the needle. Um, I'm already seeing this um, come to life today in, in my child and especially engaging in rigorous curriculum with the illustrious map, um, whereas he's understanding it to the sense that it's not memorization, it's understanding of the philosophy and being able to speak back and teach back what he's learned. So I, I'm glad that we're doing this for our students and I feel like math is one of those subjects that if you feel like you struggle with it and you don't understand why you're doing it, you don't grasp it and, and the way we're teaching it now gives the students the foundation to, to understand why the numbers are doing what they're doing. And it's not just because it, it does it, you know. So, um, so that, that's, that's great. Um, looking forward to seeing how year two comes along um, because Definitely, it's been a process, and as you had said, um, parents weren't taught this way. So I think another year of this under our belts will will help kind of needle further. Um, the big thing that I, I love to hear was around is the, the two-way communication and support. I think that's that's critical. And as long as we're we're partnering with our our families, our students, and everybody's in the know, uh, there are no surprises, and we can, we can really go together and and get to our end goal together. Versus it's a teacher or educator-led effort, it's the whole community. Um, so, so one, thank you for this work and I appreciate the time for you coming out here tonight. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for uh, being here tonight and for putting this together. Um, just, just so much work goes into this and thank you very much. And really, um, I think it's very encouraging to see um, with, with the use of data, just how personalized um, both the social emotional learning plans as well as the um, academic uh, plans can be um, for every student. And so is there, when it comes to both the social emotional learning and the academic uses of data, are are there uniform um, procedures in place for like how for um, when goals are met or reevaluating them? 
or is it, is it more on like individual um, student basis or like how, um, how are those goals updated, I guess? We like to work through a, a six to eight week cycle um, so that we have very clear, defined, progressive plans in place for six to eight weeks. And then we meet back again as a team to review the progress or lack thereof um, and make determinations <clears throat> on whether the student has graduated out of that um, in years past. Um, if they were identified as needing interventions, they pretty much got it throughout their school career at elementary level. This way, it's much more fluid and flexible and very targeted. So they can graduate out of that group, they can stay in that group and continue to progress, or we look to see a different skill that we want to build a foundation for. Um, so it's very cyclical. Excellent. No, that's, um, that's fantastic. It's, I mean, I mean, having the, the iterative process really also, also gives students um, something, to, something to strive for as well in their own personal development. So, um, yeah, that's, that's great. And I agree now that enough illustrate math. I mean, if, if I had that when I was a kid, maybe I'd be half decent now today. So, <laughs> the, <laughs> that sounds like really um, it's a wonderful um, process that um, you guys have pointed out. So, thank you very much. And I'm so glad that we've got one school improvement plan for elementary. This is a big step, I think. And not that we didn't value the individual, the five or the six in the past, but, um, and there were obviously similarities pulled throughout, but I think it's like just the idea of having everybody here presenting it all together. And um, it's, you know, we've been talking about some horizontal alignment and sort of equity and experiences across elementary schools. And then, so when they get to middle school, it's sort of like you have similar experiences no matter what elementary school you went to. So the middle school can just pick up where, where elementary left off and then the high school can just pick up where middle school left off. And um, I think that this is this is just great to see everybody working together and as a team. I know you did before, um, but I love having, and I think Al, you brought this up um, on a tour a long time ago, but there's the, um, oh, I'm not gonna be able to find it. All the, um, Oh, math, God. All together on the top. I know that part. I'll try to even that out. I know it probably wasn't him. It's probably somebody else in this room, but we talked about it once in the Having them all put together. Um, anyways, um, looking forward to how student needs and progress will be communicated. And maybe this is a rhetorical question, but um, wondering if that would be shared with families and might that be something that's on report card at some point? So it might be I, I think there's a couple. I think there's a couple responses to your question. I think there's a couple of different parts. Okay. Dr. Rogers alluded to report cards, um, which need a yeah. revision, and I think that's to come. Um, our immediate work as we think about upcoming PD in October um, is we have our um, map data. Um, so now we're analyzing that and thinking about setting goals for students um, and um, discussing how we share that information with families and how we bring them into that partnership um, so that everyone understands um, what our goals are for our students. Uh, and then in addition to that, um, I think that we continue to work with our teachers who do an exceptional job um, to communicate to parents um, what tiered instruction looks like. So I shared kind of that example mm -hmm. of um, foundations, um, but there's others too, so. Gotcha, so that's just uh, like on a case-by-case -case basis, it's not like everybody here is on the specific date, like sort of where their, where their kiddo is. It's like when your kiddo needs targeted instruction, you'll get it. 
notified by the teacher and they'll sort of explain what that looks like and what they're what still they're working on. I think our hope is that as um, we approach the November conference, um, teachers feel um, equipped to have those conversations uh, as it relates to tiered instruction. Um, you know, this is the support um, that I provide. This is the support that um, you know an interventionist provides. Again, with that same goal um, of helping them to um, master that grade level content, um, and then I think the um, the math piece. Um, kind of more to come on that as we work through some things in that area. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Um, okay, so in the in the one B sec section, so tracking, responding, and communicating student behaviors, um, I don't see a reference to restorative practices here, and I'm wondering, like, is that embedded in some of these other things, or where where does where where does that fit in, and in, is it even in this initiative at all? I'm happy to chime in if you yeah. so we So we see the, uh, the goals this year um, related to building these systems, making sure that we have clarity around um, the types of proactive um, pieces through advisory and, and whatnot as an example, behaviors that we want to instill in students and work with staff. On the responsive side, looking at how do we develop um, a very clear expectation for accountability when someone does make a mistake, but also pair that with support and intervention. In there, restorative practices would exist. Restorative practices in general, as a, that's a very large framework, and what we really try to do, and I'll just speak, I don't speak for everyone here, but that framework of restorative practices, um, we um, included that as part of some of our interventions, but um, what I'm cognizant of is the process of restorative practices as a framework is a pretty large model that requires um, dedication to PD and really having plans that have the bandwidth and the space within them to work. So we're going to be including some of those practices around how do we make a situation whole again um, if someone's an offender and not call them out but call them in and create opportunities to um, repair. Um, but certainly as far as a restorative practice like in a framework sense, we would focus first on just individuals who um, need to repair a situation and building those strategies um, for this particular cycle of, of our plan. So does that answer your question? You know, I would say too though, it, at the elementary level, the developmental level, restorative practice, there are components of restorative practice that have just always been there because of the developmental level. So while we're going to hang a sign on it, I do think it's important to note that when a student misbehaves or if there's an investigation, I can't recall a time where there was just a consequence and there was no education tied to it, especially at the elementary level, because that's what we're tasked with doing, is teaching them core values, teaching them the right from wrong, teaching them why they did what they did was not acceptable. So that's always been ingrained in the work that we do at this developmental level in elementary. Um, we'll hang a sign on it and we'll, we'll dig into the larger framework, um, but we will continue to use it as opportunities to teach. Students. It, it is referenced in the Code of Conduct and Character. Okay, okay. Yeah. As Mr. Yeah. Stark presented yeah. out in a previous meeting, it is part of that revised matrix and it is in there. And gotcha, that, gotcha. That I know, I'm like, I know I've seen it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. We talked about what specifics and where to put it, and we thought that's, that's where it was. Um, and we skimmed over today because Eric did a great job presenting it <laughs> for the last time. But as you move through that matrix, there is a, um, there's language around, there's, um, loss of privilege, and there's a restorative piece, et cetera. Mm -hmm. so. yeah. 
and it talks about some of the interventions. Mm -hmm. The goal as, as um, Heidi continues to transition is to work with our level-based principals and assistant principals to look at what does that learning opportunity look like for not only someone who was you know, um, an aggressor, but also a victim. Mm -hmm. and how do we support Definitely. victims to, to navigate the school day in a way that empowers them and, and whatnot. So we've talked about that work, and I think as, as Heidi continues to transition in, that'll, that'll uh, begin to unfold even more. Because mm -hmm. if there's any disproportionality, like we want to be able to see yeah. that so that we can adjust it. Right. Um, okay, great. And then another question which might actually be from Mr. Jagir. Um, MTM, MTSS and UDL are like lumped together in this initiative, mm -hmm. and I feel like they're both big, important ideas in their own right. Um, so I I guess I wonder. I guess I wonder why they're why they're together there. Are they working hand in hand? They are. I think you, with MTSS and UDL, I don't think you can have MTSS without UDL. Mm -hmm. um, and really thinking about that framework, they, the, the UDL framework is really built around making like variability of kids and whatnot is not the exception. It's the expectation. Mm -hmm. So how are we designing learning? That's we're proactively looking to design learning and opportunities for kids. 
that um, in the past we might have looked to differentiate or remove barriers. We're actually trying to really just try to look at um, eliminating those barriers before we even begin teaching. So not just look to, to try to do that. So I think I would, I would use that as a, as a framework for it. And if you're doing that and you're designing learning that way, as students start to um, demonstrate their understanding and as that shifts, we now are looking at what are our tiers of support to have that student. They use, you know, Mirko talked about that dental model, and it always sticks in my head, and um, we've used it a few times, but everyone goes for a teeth cleaning, right? Um, that continues on a, you know, most of the time it's twice a year um, for folks, and if you had something wrong where you needed to have a cavity checked out, you might get referred to someone. But that doesn't mean that your teeth cleaning stop while you go and have your cavity checked. Or if you have a root canal, you're, on, you're always on a cycle of that tier one. Um, you heard it referenced tonight from our, from our principals, but um, that would be an example. So how are we designing our instruction to meet the needs of all learners and really trying to look at that? It sounds, that sounds like a really baked phrase, but it's when you really think about designing instruction that, that really accounts for all the kids you have in front of you, it's really powerful. Right, from the get-go, instead of right. like, this is my lesson, and then I'm going to differentiate it this way for these guys, and this way for these guys. Right. So like, I'm going to make it sort of a level playing field from the beginning so anybody can access Okay. Um, great. We can we talk more about that too later to educate yeah. the, the community. Yeah, and I do, and, at a future meeting. And I do think because um, UBD has been highlighted for a couple of years mm -hmm. here in Franklin, so that's um, understanding by design. And so I think that's just like a li so now it's like, oh, there's no UBD here, and now it's UDL, which obviously are different. Sure. Um, but actually, people get caught up with that kind of thing. But I would like to say the UBD approach is still something we use as part of the backward design planning. And then within those stages, stage one, two, and three, we make sure that we're thoughtfully, intentionally planning mm -hmm. for UDL and for the different tier level of instruction. We just do it in that planning format, that backwards design UBD. Gotcha. So that's not like... It's not, oh, oh instead of. Right. No, no, no. That, okay, that is still the so base of our planning. Yep. Um, and then this, these are the important components that have to go into the planning. Right, gotcha. Okay, thanks. Um, and then at the very end, it's, I was glad to see that family engagement and involvement are both li listed here. Um, and I know that there, there can be a difference between engagement and involvement, and I think um, that can be a powerful difference. So are there some examples of engagement versus involvement or um, one or the other? at the elementary level? Um, I, I guess I would share that, uh, for example, we are leveraging, uh, trying to leverage more parent volunteers um, this year as just one example. Um, so that might be involvement. Um, trying to involve, again, that physical contact of parents and guardians and, and caregivers coming to support in that way. Uh, and then I guess our hope is, is that we engage families um, in other ways too throughout the course of the year. I would say one example of, the, of engaging them, uh, when, we, when we did have the open house new format that we did, we surveyed families asking them what they thought and what feedback. Um, I already um, drafted my 2023 invitation based on their <laughs> feedback and the staff's feedback while it's fresh in my mind. Um, but in addition to that, you know, we have felt that fracture um, from COVID. And, um, one thing that was important to us too is just gauging the community's level of 
um, involvement, engagement, and um, belonging. And so um, a survey, a survey, I sent a survey out asking about their level of um, how they feel welcome in the school and how their how their child does and if they feel a sense of belonging and what feedback they have for us. And I know I'm not the only school that did that, and so I think that would be an example of the engagement mm -hmm. um, piece. That even if they if they're unable to for whatever reason physically come in and, and get involved in the school, their voice is still important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You guys are great. Just echo all the comments of committee members. Thank you, Governor. Governor, I just want to say thank you very much. Joe. No questions. Thank you, everyone, so very much. Great. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everybody. You've got to get out of here. school there wasn't uh, you know, touch touch upon one before I'm a little hesitant to vote on this as a whole when like part like 20 percent of it part five won't be discussed until the 25th mm -hmm. um, so yeah so I, I'm, I'm just you know like I know we're going to hear some great stuff on the 25th mm -hmm. but I would you know I feel I feel better to kind of hear that discussion before voting on on everything, if that's a possibility. Can I just yeah. weigh in? Um, so for the district improvement plan, we talked about those are the f um, the five core mm -hmm. goals. Tonight you heard from ECDC Elementary. Um, the next meeting you'll hear from the middle and high school, uh, which you haven't heard, and then on the following meeting of DEI. So. By the time we get through October, you'll have heard from every level and every plan uh, related to the goal. So just, for, you know, this is um, your your decision, but I would just point out the district improvement plan is approving basically the strategic objectives and the initiatives that are tied to each of those goals. And then you'll have an opportunity to approve the middle school plan, mm -hmm. the high school plan, and the DEI plan, as just like you did with the elementary and ECDC tonight as they relate to the specifics of those goals. So I just would point that out as a perspective. Um, you also? Well, we're going to go down the line Yeah, yeah, now. yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Al? Um, no questions. Dave? No questions. I just 
do think Dave Callahan brought up a good point, and I understand what you're saying, Lucas. I guess the, the only question, because like the district improvement plan, like you're saying, it's really just the strategic objectives and initiatives, it's not the details. Um, but the one thing on the, the fifth one um, that I was had a question was, was the equity action plan. And so I looked at that and I was like, oh, but we're gonna talk about that at the end of October, so that science will, I'll feel better about that, because that's obviously a big thing that's like only three words on a page. So um, I think that the the rest of it, I'm all okay with, but that equity action plan, I'm like, ooh, as an outcome, that sounds like there's gonna be more outcomes. Right, right. That actually, the equity action plan would be developed throughout the year. That would be an outcome. Like um, a goal to put together a multi-year strategy for the DEI initiatives. Mm -hmm. um, Based on but, that equity audit. Right, and, and it felt like, um, if you noticed in the, in the elementary school improvement plan, they, um, they included uh, a clause that said basically how we're in, you know, continuing to infuse DEI across the, the, the major goal areas. But certainly, you know, this is your plan to approve. Just historically, what we've done is approved the, um, the district improvement plan and then held um, uh, a few nights to put the school improvement plans forward. Uh, but certainly, I'm not pressuring. I don't want that to come across as any type of pressure. It's just information for you to make your decision as a committee. It, w it won't change the fact that we're going to schedule middle and high school right. next meeting and DEI the following meeting. So it's it's we're still going to work towards the goals that we've committed as far as the district goes. But you've heard tonight at least from uh, two of the two levels. Okay. Yeah. Megan. Um, no questions. Okay. All right. Um, so seeing no more discussion questions. Vote will come on the motion. All those in like, all those in favor. Well, no, Camille's gone, so Camille's absent. Dave Callahan. I have to vote no, but just for the. Yep. That's a, no problem. Al Charles. Yes. Dave McHugh. Yes. Elise Stokes. Yes. Megan Little. Yes. Denise Spencer. Yes. Motion carries. Mr. Chair? Sure. Uh, I recommend approval of the pre-K and elementary school improvement plans as presented. Is there a motion to approve the pre-K through five school improvement plan as discussed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. Right. Discussion questions? All right. See. Oh. <laughs> so just in follow-up, um, so they go up through objective four. So. When we do the DEI presentation, will there be like a specific DEI objective for ECDC? It'll be it'll it'll uh, the the goals will articulate the grade spans. Uh, okay. but many of the goals across DEI are shared, so um, without without having the, the plan to share tonight with you, um, it will include um, goals for our entire system, um, and that's why that's the we made a decision strategically to really focus on those four areas, knowing how much information. We also knew that DEI, um, as it being a new goal, we thought it made sense and it was appropriate to have on its own night mm -hmm. to provide that kind of space for it so it didn't feel kind of um, just pushed in unnecessarily. So um, you will hear more and it will have um, more greater detail. But the equity action plan was like a pri primary um, recommendation for us moving forward 
to develop. Um, and with that, to unpack that, we would need to have a presentation mm -hmm. to kind of share how that would look, because you need to engage um, our constituents and multiple people. Gotcha. And so this, we're just voting on strategic objectives one through four for ECDC and for elementary. And then it's really just like, it's sort of like six or half a dozen. Like so you can stick the five <coughs> in each of these individually, or you have all the five in their own. And like you're saying, it's a new goal area, so it deserves sort of like extra attention and thoughtfulness or thoroughness right. to sort of dig into it. Okay. All right. I just wanted to clarify. Okay. All right, um, so we'll call we'll come on the motion. Uh, Camille is absent. Dave Callahan? Yes. Al Charles? Yes. Dave McNeil? Yes. Elise Stokes? Yes. Megan Whitmore? Yes. Lee Spencer? Yes. All right, motion carries. All right, All right so uh, the next item is do I recommend it and then do I tee this up and then recommend? That's what I would tee this up. Tee this up. Yeah. Okay, so um, I'm going to be putting forth the recommendation. It's an outcome of the work we've done with our uh, Space Needs Facility Assessment Subcommittee um, to review the facilities throughout the district. You may recall on June 9th, the findings were presented um, by Mr. Charles to the school committee with recommendations to do three things. Of uh, those three things, one was to conduct a redistricting analysis, to secure a consultant to assist us with that process, and the third thing was to form a redistricting advisory committee composed of community of stakeholders, um, which would include parents, teachers, um, ad administration, and um, folks from within our town facilities. Uh, as an initial step this summer, that subcommittee met and put out requests for proposals to support the process. Three proposals were received on August 15th, and after independently reviewing all three proposals, uh, the Space Needs Subcommittee unanimously arrived at a recommendation, which is coming before you now for discussion and approval uh, at this meeting. The recommendation to award a contract in the amount of 49,815 to Applied Geographics Incorporated for consulting services in accordance with that RFP um, that was issued on July 26 for redistricting services. Um, in, in your packet, you would see information, um, including some of the information and proposals from that vendor. Um, the next step, steps include seeking stakeholder representation, uh, which I've talked about, um, and putting out a interest form try to survey those who may be interested to serve on that committee and communication will be forthcoming with details on how to express that. Um, so with that teed up, I recommend approval of the consultation contract um, in the amount of 49815 to apply geographics for consulting services in accordance with the RFP issued on July 26th for school redistricting services as discussed. Okay. Is there a motion to approve awarding a contract in the amount of $49,815 to Applied Geographics, Inc. as discussed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. Discussion questions? Dave. Um, one question for whomever. So uh, this price tag, is that pretty much set in stone? Um, you know, hire like a contractor, and, and there's always that expectation, well, you know, maybe you gotta add 10% to the cost or something. Had that come up in any meetings, and have they kind of touched on that at all? Yeah, so, so their proposal was a flat price based on the work that we asked them to do, that, um, and they will go through the process with us, and the, and the cost will be $49,815. Okay, so no surprise, you know, fees or anything? Can I add one thing? You can. Yep. So, and unlike the other 
folks that were uh, that provided RFP, they did have um, additional costs for like travel and other other expenses. So this one was the Mayor had said it is that flat fee. So we're not there. There are no other surprises in, in gotchas. Okay, so not only um, I saw in this whole entire packet was spectacular. Um, I loved. You know, especially at the bottom too, it kind of breaks down. Everyone's like rating scores, and we see like the price proposals. So like, even some of the other ones we opted not to go with. You know, they kind of gave us a number that was under budget, mm -hmm. but that didn't include any of those. It was been all virtual. Yeah. Oh. With those prices. Oh, okay. That's terrific. Um, so the other vendors that uh, they were not as local as this particular vendor. Um, some of the meetings uh, were going to be virtual, if not all of them. Um, some of the caveats included travel expenses if they had to be on site. Um, and, and so the pricing uh, is, um, is reflected that way. Their pricing reflects their price to do the work, but not to come on site, etc. Okay. So. Uh, thank you very much. And I also, too, can I just kind of toss them around two cents? Uh, when I, uh, this term first started up, um, yeah, I was reading a lot of material uh, to kind of just get myself up to speed about this position. One of the things I kind of ran across was a district that very recently went through a redistricting process. Um, and uh, the, you know, the group that they went with was spectacular. Everything kind of, you know, the group you know, touched on every single little factor that, that you would hope uh, is cognizant when they're doing a redistricting plan. And as I'm kind of reading through this packet, I realized it was the exact same group in the same town. So somebody that kind of you know uh, did a great job you know, previously and to kind of see them coming on and over here with their name was, was great. So really kudos to the entire team. Um, really appreciate all the work that went into this. And in recent years, they've worked with 13 communities of similar size within Massachusetts specifically um, more recent. So I think their qualifications I mean, this was a, an independent um, choice. I also did some research and asked around to some of my colleagues who, um, who have uh, gone through redistricting more recently, um, and many um, referenced the, the, same, the same company that kind of led them through. Um, the proposal, just for clarifi uh, clarification for our community too, they talked, they really laid out an actionable plan that they've used and had success with within communities to, um, to lay out a timeline that meets our timeline um, ultimately, just for information, um, if we um, if you move forward with a recommendation, we would make contact with the company and then schedule that time uh, at the same time, finding out who's interested to serve on this committee and then put together a really thoughtful plan to arrive um, at a recommendation through this analysis process by the end of the school year um, and then use the way we uh, gauge that timeline was to look at then uh, planning whatever decisions made, uh, if any would be, uh, to plan the following year um, for whatever the recommendation led to. So just thought it was a very thoughtful process. They emphasize community engagement and communication, and I think those are two areas that we, um, we want to focus on. Yeah, I mean, Dave, just to kind of piggyback off of that too, um, I reached out to a few of the school committee chairs from the different towns that FGO had worked with, and they all had nothing but stellar things to say. And like Lucas had said, you know, community engagement, and they were just wonderful to work with. You know, they really kind of pushed the community forums that we talked about. So I think that's great. Yeah, they seem they seem fantastic. So I'm excited. Thank you. And 
Uh, no comments. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, let's go. Uh, Dave, yeah. Questions? Um, so I'm sure you scrolled all the way to that last page, right? So we all independently rated and submitted our stuff confidentially, confidentially and then um, Marion threw these together, um, the ratings. And you can see that our rating of AppGeo was 138, and the next closest runner-up was 68. So we were like more than double, and it was really, really across all sort of the areas that we value as far as collaboration, working with schools like Franklin, um, being organized, having timelines, um, their communication, all of it. They were like really, really stellar, and um, the other two really weren't um, competitors, I think. And then the fact that they were so far away, it just wasn't, it didn't make any sense at all. No. So it's one that had n not redistricted schools. They were like did like political redistricting, yeah. which is valuable in its own way, but had you know we wanted somebody that's done this before. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think it sounds exciting or promising, yeah. but I don't know no questions. Thank you. All right. So discussion questions. All right. So we'll call on the vote. Camille is absent. Dave Callahan. Yes. Al Charles. Um, yes. <laughs> Steve McNeil? Yes. Ali Stokes? Yeah. Megan Whitmore? Yes. Denise Spencer? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, she's here. All right. I recommend the committee appoint Denise Spencer to serve as the committee's delegate to the annual MASC meeting of delegates as discussed. So, annually, there is an MASC meeting where we vote on resolutions that have been brought forth to school committees across Massachusetts. In October, we will be discussing these resolutions. Um, if you don't want to send me, that's fine. I'll send one of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's down to Kate, so. Um, all right, so is there a motion to appoint Denise Spencer to serve as the delegate at the annual MASC meeting as discussed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right, discussion questions? Yeah, just thanks for several. <laughs> All right, um, roll call vote. Camille is absent. Dave Callahan? Yes. Al Charles? Yes. Dave McNeil? Yes. Elise Stokes? Yes. Megan Whitmore? Yes. Please put to yes. All right, motion carries. Okay, um, discussion only items. There are none. Information matters. Superintendent evaluation, Elise. So uh, we expect to review the superintendent's new goals at a coming up meeting near the end of October, maybe? Yes, I yeah. think if we get through the uh, presentation yeah. cycle with um, all of the, and then receive all that feedback, right. it makes the most sense. I did meet with uh, Michael Sullivan, my mentor coach today, mm -hmm. and we review goals and goal setting and planning um, as it relates to the district plan, so the synergy, so um, that makes sense. Looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, budget, Dave? The budget has not met since our last meeting. Okay. Uh, policy, do you kill you? We will be meeting tomorrow. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, quick turn around. What time? Six o'clock. Okay. Six o'clock, all right. Um, community relations. So this Saturday, October 1st, Harvest Festival, noon to 5 p.m. We have our booth. It is in front of the post office. So everyone come on down, come say hi, and we look forward to seeing you there. Same place as the Strap Restaurant. Um, I have to skip 
It's yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little further down to uh, close to the post office. Okay. So similar. Thank you. Um, space needs, L. Yep. So as you all heard, we voted on moving forward with uh, working with AppGeo. Um, so next steps will be to contact them. Uh, we'll probably have some uh, conversations with them uh, regarding uh, what the process looks like to move forward. We'll also begin to work on that interest form that Mr. Jukir had mentioned earlier this meeting. Um, so we'll get some communications out and get out to the folks to um, express their interest. Uh, we are meeting on the 3rd of October at 4 p.m., uh, 3 p.m., not 4 p.m., 3 to 4, um, for our next meeting. Um, and that's about it. Was it for, I may put it wrong on my calendar. I'll double check. Check my Either notes. Way. Either way. <laughs> but it's a virtual meeting. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, joint PCCs? Uh, so we haven't met since our last meeting. Our next meeting is going to be on October 10th. Okay. Um, school Wellness Advisory Council. We have our first meeting next week because next week is October. And so, <laughs> I know, it's a surprise to some of us. <laughs> okay, uh, CPAC. CPAC. Um, so their Meet the CPAC event, uh, initially scheduled for tomorrow, has been moved to Wednesday, October 12th. They're also hosting a book club meeting on November 16th, which is in person at Escape into Fiction, or people can join virtually through Zoom. And that discussion will be focused on Temple Grandin's book, Thinking in Pictures. Everyone is welcome to attend. They're also hoping to host a trunk or treat, but I've uh, been working around high school sports schedules to try and figure out when they can use the ECDC parking lot, because that's a great space for it. So stay tuned for a date on that. And always check out their Facebook page for more information. Thanks very much. Um, Substance Abuse Task Force, Ms. Meeting on October 11th. And DEI Committee. We should be up and running. We put out a posting for our staff members to apply and inquire and um, we put sending out appointment letters to staff. We're interested in putting out another reminder just to make sure that we get everyone and that should be up and running and moving in alignment with the plan and the goals and the work. Um, and Heidi and I met this morning to talk through that. So more to come on. Okay. Thank you. All right. Consent agenda, Mr. Okay. I recommend approval of the minutes from your September 13th, 2022 meeting as detailed. I recommend approval of the budget transfers as detailed. I recommend acceptance of two checks totaling $461.76 for FHS as detailed, 1476 Ohio Pile Prints, Supplemental Supplies, and $447 for Caesars Barbershop, in-house enrichment. JFK Gift, I recommend acceptance of a check for $925 for the JFK PCC for field trips as detailed. Is there a motion to approve the consent agenda as detailed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. Discussion, questions? All right, seeing none, roll call vote on the motion. Camille is absent. Dave Callahan? Yes. Al Charles? Yes. Dave McNeil? Yes. Lee Stokes? Yes. Megan Whitmore? Yes. Lee Spencer, yes. All right, motion carries. All right. Next on the agenda, citizens' comments. Are there any citizens in the audience, in person or online, who would like to make a comment on an item not on tonight's agenda and falls within the committee's purview? We have one. We have one? Okay. Can you, oh yeah, I don't know how it works. Yes. 
Yeah, thank you, oh, uh, Kyle oh, Thompson, oh, oh, Mercer I'm, Lane. I'm sorry, Kyle, I just, oh. I, I, I just have to read a, a statement really quick, sorry. Um, you were too quick for me. Um, in, the, no in, in the spirit of open communication, the committee will hold a public participation segment, also called Citizens' Comments, about matters not related to an agenda item within the school committee's purview. Comments are limited to three minutes and must be addressed to the committee. Citizens' comments segments are not debates or Q&A sessions. It is intended to offer citizens an opportunity to express their opinions on issues of school committee business. The committee will listen to but not respond to any comment made. If you could state your name, address, and please keep within the three-minute time limit. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Kyle Thompson, 8 Mercer Lane. Um, I've been listening to a lot of committee meetings over the last few years, and um, tonight I heard a lot about a lot of talk about DEI, SEL, MTSS, UBD, UDL, restorative practices, anti-bias training, kids' values, equity, collecting data through panorama, marginalized people, victims, and there was not a single challenge to the ideas presented about the elementary school improvement plan. And I think this either shows a lack of diversity of thought on the school committee or a fear of not agreeing with the crowd. You know, everything in these school committees seems to be fantastic and stellar. You know, so I would recommend returning to teaching our children the basics and acknowledging that not everyone agrees with the values and social viewpoints you are pushing on our children. Additionally, I also recommend eliminating the position of Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion. She has ideas of creating white affinity groups and says children have a lot of unlearning and learning to be done in relation to DEI. Not everyone agrees with these social viewpoints and I haven't seen a single objection. Also, we should make DEI committee open to the public this committee is responsible for influencing curriculum, assessment and instruction, professional development, district and social policies and practices, staff recruitment and retention, culture and climate, commission, excuse me, communication and community engagement, inclusion practices, and so on, as listed on the website. Since this committee is responsible for influencing almost everything related to public schools, it should be open to the public and completely transparent. Every parent should be able to listen in on that committee and be invited by you to do so. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle. Um, is there anyone else? Um, Megan Benson, if you could just state your name and, and address, sorry. Hi there, yes. Megan Benson, 19th and Drive. Um, so just kind of to piggyback on what Kyle said, I, I completely agree with all of that. Um, and just after hearing a lot about tonight, I'm a bit concerned um, just given, you know, I've had this fear, I think, um, you know, for a while now, but it seems like a lot of it is now coming to fruition. So I'm wondering if there is, or maybe suggesting a way to kind of um, send out to parents the opt-out form. So more of a proactive opt-out 
um, you know, there's a mass general law, um, I, I want to say it's chapter 71, section 32A or something like that, that we, you know, parents have an option to opt out of this. I think it's, it's pretty hidden um, and not always, you know, kind of um, readily accessible or available or known. But I think given what I've, I've seen tonight and I think a, a few other parents have seen tonight or maybe many others is that this should probably go hand in hand with the curriculum as we're making this push we should probably you know also make it very clear that there's there is another option and your kids don't necessarily have to be subjected to this um you know by law they don't have to so i'm just throwing that out there and hoping that we can kind of balance this out in a way um and i think that that's all I have to say for now. Thank you, Megan. Um, is there anyone else? Okay. All right. Um, Mr. Jr., your business. So the next meeting, you can expect school improvement plan updates and presentations from our middle school and our high school and along with some other um, some other recommendations from routine business but those are the two main presentations you can expect and the nasc resolution and the masc resolution there are six of them six in the past it's been 11 so this is a lot better thank you yes you can expect that as well um, okay and if there's nothing else at this time i would entertain a motion to adjourn is there a second? Second. All right. Vote common motion. Camille's absent. Dave Callahan? Yes. Al Jones? Yes. David McNeil? Yes. Elise Stokes? Yes. Daniel Whitmore? Yes. Nate Spencer? Yes. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you again on October 11th. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley, the piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts.